What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. What is Skybox Sports Picks? They are the inventor of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that's been refined through years of testing and has brought them to the forefront of the sports handicapping industry. The guys at Sportsbox will have you covered up through March Madness. You've got Elite Eight games going on. On Monday and Tuesday, you're kind of coming down to the wire there. It was a great weekend of basketball. You should check out Skybox Sports Picks. They've got March Madness packages, all kinds. you got a daily pass. At the very least, you should try the daily pass. Why not try it for a day? With promo code, you get 20% off. That's a $10 pass. So 8 bucks to basically pay the juice on what's going to be a guaranteed profit. I would encourage going ahead and buying the full season pass. They're crushing it on NASCAR right now. They're crushing it on March Madness. You should check them out. The over-unders have been very effective. Check those guys out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Go check them out today. Use the promo code RIPPY. Get 20% off any purchase. Podcast also brought to you by LB's, University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg's got the deals going on. You saw him yesterday, or you saw him over the weekend if you got the newsletter. He's got a $10 prime strip going as well as the free pound of ribeye sausage. So if you went to LB's over the weekend, you could have gotten a free pound of spicy ribeye sausage and a steak for 10 bucks. How can you beat that? We've got more specials coming in the coming days with Greg. Glad to have him back on board, but check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Monday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line, is always, is Colin Brister, as he is every Sunday and Friday, or Monday and Friday. I can't get the days right. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. I kept saying Rebel Rights. I did that twice in our last <laughs> two podcasts. The first time I remembered to cut it out. The second time, I did not. We got a lot to get into today. A lot of baseball stuff. Uh, it would definitely be a pretty baseball-heavy show. Ole Miss went and swept Alabama to move to 6-0 and in the Southeastern Conference. Their first 6-0 and start in the Southeast, Southeastern Conference, I can't talk today, since 1969. Yeah, yeah. Big win. Big uh. What do you mean? Uh, three wins. Do what? Their first, their best start since 1969. Oh, nice. Nice. Thanks. I appreciate that. What's up, dude? Not much, man. I'm trying to, so uh, I guess we can full disclosure. We're recording this in the last minute of the Alabama UCLA game. So uh, um, I, I missed the absolute easiest joke in the world because I was watching it. Um, but yeah, not much, man. It was a uh, I kind of enjoy it when Ole Miss does the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series because it gives me Sunday off to not really do anything. Of course, they didn't really play on th- Thursday. I played two Friday. But regardless, I enjoy them wrapping their series up on Saturday because it gives me kind of Sunday to just chill. I would uh, I would agree with that assessment as well. What sucked about the whole two Friday thing because the weather is like I'd kind of planned my Thursday around watching the game that night and then instead right. to watch the first game primarily on my phone while at work. If anyone that listens, it's an employee of Dart Pro Solutions. I'm lying. Let's not talk uh, – Let's not talk about that. Did not watch it at work, but you get my point. So, yeah, I enjoyed the Thursday, Saturday as well. Ole Miss sweeps. It was an interesting weekend. We've got a lot to dive in there. We've also got your mailbag questions. It is technically the people's holiday. So, you know, move over to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This uh, this day actually belongs to this podcast, not uh, not Christianity. God so, almighty. <laughs> hot seat God. We just put him on the hot seat. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm never going to win another bet again. <laughs> 
<laughs> hope you're celebrating the people's holiday accordingly. I guess I might actually not technically drop this until Monday morning. It depends on what I get done tonight. So I guess it could technically be a mailbag Monday. You get the point. We did not have a normal mailbag Friday podcast because of the way the baseball got moved around and then didn't end up actually getting moved around. But uh, let's, obviously that's as good a place to start as any. Ole Miss sweeps Alabama is 6-0 and in the Southeastern Conference. And, yes, they have not played the Vanderbilts and the Arkansas of the world, but uh, the Rebels have a one-game lead in the SEC West after two weekends, which is not nothing. Uh, SEC West aside, this group now, if they're a 500 baseball team the rest of the way, are locked in as hosts, no questions asked. Oh, yeah, easy hosts. And if they go 12-12, and 12, I think they're locked in as a national seed. Um, but, yeah, this, this, this was a big weekend, man, because you talk about, you know, last weekend you talk about – adding a game against Auburn for margin of error. Well, what do, you, what do you do when you sweep on the road? Because that feels like maybe more than one game. I think you, most Ole Miss fans would have been happy getting out of this thing four and two uh, the first two weekends. And now you look up, you're six and oh, and you're two games ahead of schedule. And, man, the math kind of lines up really well if you just want to be a national seed. And what's crazy, and I know this is going to change, and we're only two weekends into the thing, but Arkansas is sitting there at 5-1, and one, and no one else has a 500 record in the league. You no. 2-4, well, 2-4, 1-5, 1-5, 0-6. Oh I will tell you, I don't think Auburn is any good. I don't think A&M is any good. I don't think LSU is any good. Um, who am I missing? Mississippi State and someone else. Texas A&M? Oh, yes. Alabama. So Alabama. what you're trying to articulate, because I have it up, up right here, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth. This is easily a three-dog race, three-horse race, whatever you want to call it. Right, right. Arkansas would... State at Ole Miss and State sitting there two and four. Yes, Ole yeah. Miss is a game up on Arkansas, but you have a four-game cushion on one of the horses and the other four, which is weird to say, because, you know, we talked about the uber-competitive SEC West and all that. It, it, it's really not ended up being the case. Like, I don't think Alabama's bad. I think they've had a terrible schedule draw for the first two weekends. Auburn looks a lot worse, and so does LSU, and A&M's not yeah. great. Like, it, it may not be as uber competitive as we originally thought. I, I will tell you, I, I disagree a little bit with it being a three-horse race because when one of those horses gets swept in their own house, I don't really think they get to stay in the race for a while. You're talking about our obviously Mississippi State gets swept at home by Arkansas. I still think State's going to be there at the end. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but you, I mean, you're right. I mean, one of those things is not like the other in terms of the top three in the three horse race we were talking about. To where Arkansas <laughs> is five and one, Ole Miss is six and zero, oh, and then State's two and four. I just think State's talented enough. If they kind of get some things right, they'll actually kind of still be there at the end. Because I don't think Ole Miss is going thirty and zero. Oh. There's a hot take for you. No, no, no. But I so I think I think state will be in the mix through early May. That fair? Yeah, I I'm just I mean I, I agree with you. But I, what I will say is this: like yes, it's early. I get that. Four games is a pretty big leap. Like if you think about it, and you talk about Ole Miss going twelve and twelve, well, that means Mississippi State has to go sixteen and eight to catch them over the next you know uh, twenty four games. While that's doable, that's the easy, easiest thing in the world. No, it's not. But they're also not out of it. Like, right, they haven't played no, the no, no. and Auburns of the West yet. No, no, they're they're not those teams. Um, but Ole Miss, Alabama. to your point, though, like, the, I guess the counter to that, Ole Miss did more than hold serve on what these other teams are going to be expected Ooh. to do against the Alabamas and Auburns of the world. They, I mean, they went 6-0. and oh. Like, they, they holding serve, like you mentioned, would be both of those teams getting out of there. I'm talking about Arkansas and State. 
against Alabama, Auburn at four and two. Like you, you can't do better at six and zero. Oh. I'm not a math no, guy, but that seems. No, you you can't you can't do better than six and zero. Oh, and that's and they played really well this weekend. I'm sorry for my random outburst. Alabama was down one with uh, six seconds left, shooting two and missed both free throws. So now UCLA is going to the line. It uh, this has been a ball game, man. It's been a fun weekend of hoops. Yesterday was a great day. I watched all the games yesterday out and about throughout. All right, all right real quick, you have to answer now. If UCLA's up three, do you foul? Are you a foul guy or no? I am seconds. a foul guy as much as I don't necessarily like – like from a competitive and a drama standpoint, I think that – Sure. I think the rule is done. But, yes, if, if I'm talking gaining a competitive advantage, absolutely foul guy. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big foul guy because I've never – have you ever seen somebody hit a three from the free throw line? I have not, and I've never – how many times is the shooting foul where they try to fake it and make it a shooting foul? When's the last time you've seen that called? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just put them on. There's there's four seconds left. Alabama's calling a timeout down three. Uh, but back to baseball, I'm sorry for that. It – uh, man, like, you know, Ole Miss played about as bad offensively as you could for eight innings on Friday, and it just didn't matter. Like, <laughs> they blew up in the ninth, and you kind of just forgot that they were awful for eight innings on Friday night. It was – that was one of the weirdest games. And then the the second game, uh, I guess on Friday night, I was talking about the game on Friday afternoon. The second game, man, uh, Dylan Smith from Alabama is really, really good. And Ole Miss just won a pitcher's duel. That, that, was, that was the best game of the weekend, obviously. I agree. That was the cleanest played game by both teams of the weekend. And we'll start with the with game one. You're, I thought you were dead on with that to where – Ole Miss, from an offensive standpoint, really for eight innings played really poorly. It was back to that. You remember when they were kind of slumping offensively early on in the season, and they sure. kind of had the terrible approach to where it's like, what do you like? I don't understand what these guys are trying to do here. They were swinging at pitches out of the zone. They were being kind of like hyper aggressive early. There was a lot of like the bad quality of the Ole Miss offense. Um, I would say through the first eight innings of that game. Boy, did they put the hammer down in the ninth. I mean, it's, and that's what good teams do, right? They, they'd had a terrible day. Like, it could not have possibly gone worse for them uh, through eight innings, as you mentioned. And, you know, um, at um, the same time for it, they, they, they kind of got an opening. The door was open a little bit, and they, they busted that thing down pretty good, I would say. All right. So, so you are a foul guy, correct? Yes. You know who's not a foul guy? Mick Cronin. You know what Milk Cronin is doing right now? Coaching for overtime. He's going to overtime. Oh, who hit the three for Alabama? I don't. I don't know who it was. It wasn't Herb Jones. I can tell you that. It was one hell of a play by Nate Oates. He hit about a twenty-six footer. Yep, just dead eye. So uh, they're in overtime. But uh, yeah, man, look, it's it's funny when you you talk about this offense because it's hard to put it into context, right? Because you score what nine runs. But for eight innings, like, I'm cussing at my TV because they're hitting 270-foot pop-ups. Um, they're having horrible at-bats. And then you just roll into the ninth inning. And, and credit T.J. McCants for not getting out of the way of a fastball that I'm sure hurt. Um, and credit Peyton Shatnia, who was not healthy this weekend, just demolishing a, uh, a hanging curveball, man. I tell you what, with, with Shatnia, he's got some sneaky pop because that, that thing wasn't a wall scraper. That thing cleared the fence by 20 feet. And you could tell as soon as he hit it, and you say hanging yeah. breaking ball, like I get the sense of it, but he also kind of had to go in down and get that puppy. Like he, oh, he, he did. He, he did. destroyed it. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell, and, and I'm weird, so I go back and rewatch things. You can tell his first swing. My man was trying to hit a tank, and uh, he just missed it on the first fastball, and then he looped that breaking ball in there, and my man destroyed it. And for whatever reason, and maybe I'm weird, for whatever reason, 
I just thought after that Ole Miss was going to score and the game was over. I, I didn't really have much doubt that Ole Miss would add at least one more. Um, they'd give it to Broadway and the game would be over. Credit to them for adding six more. But um, that, that was – I think that's the game, right? Like, you look back at it after the end of the regular season, if you ended it where you wanted to, and um, you look back at that game and say, hey, that may have been a turning point, or, hey, that's a game where we did not play well and we won. And, frankly, that's what really good teams do. Well, yeah, so we talked about – it was similar to that Friday night game in 18 that we talked about on Thursday's podcast where nothing went right. And I'm not trying to make a comparison between the 18 team and the 2021 team because I already do that too often anyway. But, like, that game went nothing right. And it was kind of like, okay, whatever. They kind of got back at it the next day. It was a similar type game to where Ole Miss seized any opportunity at all. Like this version of the Ole Miss team seized any opportunity at all and just kind of busted down the door. It's not the A team team wasn't capable of that, but those type of games um, where really going right at all for lengthy periods of time, and uh, they, to your point, they just kind of they they blew down the door. I mean, hell, and the, to, as bad as they were offensively, you're right. But the kid in relief of Ross, Rass, however you ended up saying that guy's name, the green kid – oh, yes, Ole Miss was not good offensively for a lot of that game. But that green kid in relief was really good. And when he came out for that third inning, Ole Miss finally cracked him. And, and poor poor guy, things really went to shit after that. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if I have the numbers to support this. I, frankly, I know I don't. For whatever reason, it feels like Ole Miss is really good the second time after they see a pitcher and not very good the first time. Uh, but it, they feel like after they've seen a guy once or twice that uh, that either second or third time is not going to go well for an opposing pitcher. I would agree with that as well. And, you know, that's uh, probably not the best example because the green kid makes it through the lineup once. He hits McCants, and then Chatagne takes him deep, and he's out. So he didn't really make it through a lineup the second time. Sure. But that I, I was, was, more that was kind of the, the lack of – Alabama's pitching depth really showed where I was texting you during the, you know, we'll, and we'll get to this in a second during the second game on Friday. So game two. And I was like, man, this pitching staff for Alabama would not really be bad at all. Particularly if they had that prelip kid. Like I was very impressed by, I think you say the kid's name Ross. I was definitely yeah. impressed by Dylan Smith. And then the first kid green, they had come out of the pen. I was like, these three cats have been pretty good, but I think the depth just kind of showed off. Cause poor, uh, what was the kid's name after Guffy? That he he, yeah. he was not good. He was not great. And yeah, they tried to do the Giles either. But Guffy was really bad. Gonzalez walk single, double, single. Uh, I know Alabama ended up scoring some runs, but at that point, after the the Elko double and the Dunhurst Dunhurst two RBI single, it's kind of like okay, ball game. Yeah, um, they were trying to do the matchup thing, and, and I always get a kick out of that because when you look at Kevin Graham's splits this year, and I know it's not always been this way. But, you know, you do have to rely on some sort of sample size. Kevin Graham mashes left-handed pitching. So, you're going to bring in – left-handed pitching individually better than right-handed this year. Oh, easily. It's not close. Which is weird because we talked about it a lot, right? That was kind of the question as to whether he could be an everyday guy or not. Could he finally hit left-handed pitching? And he's actually hitting it better. But continue. Yeah. Um, But you bring him in and, you know, obviously he gets his only hit of the weekend, I think, and not at bad. And and Elko obviously does what Elko does. Um, You know, and – Look, Alabama, for whatever reason, I thought Bohannon had a terrible weekend. He didn't – Alabama played, what, they were in a close game pretty much all the way Friday and all the way Friday night. And uh, their best pitcher, Chase – I think Chase Lee is his name, doesn't get on the mound. Um, seems like a, 
I don't know. I'm always against not throwing your best bullpen option in a three-game series. Like, I don't care how bad it gets. At some point, you could have used that guy. And uh, for whatever reason, Alabama did not get that guy on the hill. Yeah, so I actually noticed that, too, and I wrote down – I have a little legal pad of notes here that I wrote for the first two games. I was kind of in and out of the Sunday, or the Saturday game just because of March Madness, and I was kind of moving around from place to place doing stuff. But I had a decent bit of notes through that, and I wrote that down as one of them. Do you think something was up there? I don't under – I didn't understand that either because there were plenty of opportunities. Granted, it was a weird game, right? Alabama goes up one nothing, and then they, they – the poor guy the, – I mean, they go – what they end, they were up one to nothing, and then they end up what? Give up three straight two out runners, and then he threw a first pitch fastball to Elko that didn't end well. Right, but they that game. I guess my point is like I'm not making excuses for Bohannon, but excuse me, they were up three to one, and then all of a sudden go in the bottom of the night, they're down nine to three. Oh, the first game, yeah, 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 my bad. But that like, but game two to your like like adding on to what you were saying. You know, when that game's one nothing, and they take out Smith in the – what, they took him out in the sixth or seventh? I can't remember. I think I believe it was the seventh. Yeah, so they took him out after six innings. I guess it didn't end up mattering because the other kid was fine. Ole Miss adds another run late on the McCants home run. But, yeah, there was – I guess what I'm trying to articulate is there's plenty of spots where they could have used that guy, and they just didn't. But at the same time, did it make that much of a difference? Like, where could they have used him? I'm trying to oh, pinpoint it really. That, that's easy. That's easy. The, the top of the ninth, if he's your closer in the first game. I mean, if that's your closer, then why wouldn't you give him the baseball? Like, if old, if that was Ole Miss, they would give Taylor Broadway the baseball there 100 times out of 100. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think that proved itself. No matter yeah, what, I, no matter the situation, we'll get to that in a second. Just closing thought on the on the first game, though. I I, I do. I think you look at that game one and not a turning point because a turning point often comes when a team kind of finds itself and like Ole Miss is playing really good baseball coming in. But if you're looking back, like say, oh, let's just say for the sake of it, Ole Miss goes to Omaha, makes a deep run. When you're kind of writing this whole team's full story encapsulation, if you're trying to point to examples of just kind of how nasty this group was at times, it's scoring eight runs after having nothing go right for eight innings in the first inning at Alabama where you could just kind of be like, yeah, okay, we wasted this. Let's try to go back in this thing. Right. Um, and, you know, that, that's what really good teams do. That's what the 2018 team did. That's what the – oh, wow, UCLA. Uh, that's what the 2014 team did kind of what the 2019 team didn't do right because a lot of the time it felt like with that 2019 team they get down like that and it's like ah hell um but yeah except for the 2019 team in hoover the regular season team didn't do that but in hoover they kind of came became they did sobs it just took them three months yeah yeah and you know that that i hated the way that ended because that team really found itself over there in alabama that week but yeah um it just kind of feels like that kind of team, right? Um, th- this team's really good now. Like, like, don't get me wrong. They're extremely, extremely talented, and they're going to be a national seed if I had to bet on that. Frankly, I think they're going to be a top five national seed with the way they've started this off. Um, so, I don't know. I, it, it just You can kind of tell, right, when teams have some kind of it factor. And I don't believe in too much of that stuff, but I do believe there is – a, a presence for that and you can tell when it's not there and, and with me I, I can certainly feel that th- this team has some kind of it factor with it and, and for a lack of a better term leadership it's a little bit of an fu quality and i think it's a right yes 
Peyton Chatagnier in particular. Um, That's what made that team last year so fun. And I've said this for a long time. Um, and and, and I don't your video fed off Chatagnier. Like, just to add on to your point, I, like it, it, it's not that they have less of it this year, but the epitome of that was kind of the attitude that Servideo and Chatagnier played with in tw- early on in 2020, which was a damn shame it got canceled because that team, this team has carried over that same attitude that was not there for the 18 and 19 teams either. There, there is, for all, for, this is a bad way to put it, I'm aware. But for whatever reason, I always felt like with Ole Miss baseball teams, like they had a bunch of really good dudes. But there wasn't a dude there that was like, you know what? If we need to fight, we can fight. Like we're not, there, there didn't seem to be the guy, except maybe Cooper Johnson, that, you know, like somebody wants to throw behind our head, we can go to the mound. Um, but with this team, kind of feels like there's some dirt bags on it. And I mean that in the most positive way possible. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, that you're talking about it. None of them – I mean, if you look across the other side of the state, I know state got swept a weekend, but state has had a lot more of that in Absolutely. the last four to five years that Ole Miss had. Like, you're, what you're trying to say, basically, is Ole, Ole Miss has not had a Jake Mangum or two. Yeah, I mean, Ron Olenek and Cooper Johnson are about as close as it gets. Um, but at the and, same time, I, I don't disagree on Cooper Johnson, but, like, Cooper's a guy where he, like, lets you – if you're talking like schoolyard middle school stuff, like he's a guy that like lets you pick on him like five times, but the sixth time he's just going to kind of do something psycho to where you never screw with him again. But he's not like an alpha vocally like that. You know what I mean? Right, he, right. He, he, yeah. He's not kind of the hothead they almost needed. He just, yes, he was kind of a mean SOB when he needed to be, but it took a while to get there. You texted me about this um, in this first game. When uh, Shat, when Chats hits the home run, he, he the pitcher yells this loud f bomb. We thought. it was an all time f you all time. Well, okay, I uh, I went back and watched. He he was he was talking to Shad Yeah, he was really? yelling at him. Like, I, I didn't realize. He, I thought he was just mad at himself at first. No, he was yelling at Peyton because apparently Peyton was like talking noise, running around the bases or something. But that was absolutely thrown in his direction. That's a good eye. I didn't know that. I, I, I truthfully, I didn't notice that. I just assumed he was mad that he kind of. I say it was a hanger. It wasn't. It, I didn't think that was also a terrible pitch. It wasn't great. It didn't have a ton on it, but it also wasn't hung belt high to where it was just a sure. kidney. So I was but, just kind of assuming he was mad that he made a mistake. But to, like kind of what you're saying, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because it wasn't a horrendous pitch. So it wasn't like great. I just blew it there. That's interesting. What did I wonder what he did because they didn't show him. I I have these gripes in a minute. The uh, production quality of the first two games, I would say, was uh, suboptimal to say the least. To use old radio term, I became. I can't tell where the kid was looking when he drops this. Like what he says, whatever he says to himself. But I do know like how human emotions work, and you don't drop like this loud f bomb as the guy's rounding first base in between the middle of almost hitting second base. Like, you say that when that ball hits the bat, you realize it's gone. You don't wait 15 seconds to drop your F-bomb. So, so that's why, like, just a little deductive reasoning there. That, that was pointed at the old Miss kid. That's a great point, and that's the kind of analysis you're not going to get elsewhere. You don't drop the <laughs> F-bomb where he's rounded between first and second base. It's, a, it, it is, it's an interesting way to think about it, too. Like, I, I guess he was actually yelling at shot. I mean, hell, I haven't even gone back and watch the clip again since you've been talking about this, but you've already convinced me. Like, I, I agree. That's, that's, that's pretty wild. And, I mean, it's the perfect type of person to be yelling at, too. Like, 
like this little Jenner just took me deep. Jenner, I know Jackson, Mississippi term, shout out to the 601. But yeah, this little sure, tweaker that's sure constantly just running around started. doing stuff just took me deep. Like he's kind of an annoying player, if, for the lack of a better phrase. Tough, uh, tough weekend to be an Alabama fan. You lose in the Sweet 16 and you, you get swept in baseball. Their softball team had a good weekend. I don't know that. So you um, see why you took care of it in overtime? Uh, they're up nine with 40 seconds left. We're going to assume they win. Yeah, so how about Mick? Uh, can't, and we'll talk some hoops later, but Mick can advance and March Cronin has done quite a hell of a job at UC. Who will he get to go to the Final Four? Is it be Michigan? Yeah, it's Michigan. They'll get Michigan. So it'll end there. But yeah, Dude, I mean, he's, a he's, shocking he's, result today. Florida State, what the hell? Um, yeah, I watched that. That was that was murder. I was, you know, so I was kind of this one of those weird stat line games. I'm going to throw you some stats about that game in, in a little bit. Um, that's where it just doesn't make a ton of sense. But, yeah, so so the, the home run happens. The kid drops an all-time F-bomb. So Ole Miss wins that game. They kind of drop the hammer down, whatever it is. Kind of like, man, that's a tough way. Like, in my, like, if I'm from the Alabama side, like, it would have almost been easier to kind of had to go to bed and kind of wash yes. that down the drain and come back to where now after that happens, they got to come back two hours later, or an hour later, excuse me, um, and and get that like you know and kind of come back like uh, to me a normal series it would have been easier to kind of shake that off and granted they played a hell of a baseball game in the second game props to sure. I don't know if it mattered but that that's a tough rebound in an hour yeah and, and a lot of goes into that right because I, I said when Ole Miss took the lead and did what they did in the ninth I was like Alabama's gonna lay down I was wrong Alabama did not lay down um nobody in this league outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas scores on Doug Nikhazy Friday night. What what he showed was 2019 Nikhazy, four pitches in the strike zone, mixing speeds. Uh, when he's like that, he's unhittable. And and unfortunately for Alabama, I mean, if you're an Alabama fan, you just like that. And it's like, well, screw it. Like, <laughs> there's nothing we can do. Um, Alabama should have took advantage of a, a bit situation or two with uh, Drew McDaniel in there, who was also really good. Um, but yeah, look, when, when Doug Nikhazy does what he does and he's like that, man, there's just not a hell of a lot you can do. No, there's really not. And I, I agree in some sense, but I'll push back a little bit to where Nikhazy was not bad by any stretch. I mean, he ends up one hit in in five innings, two walks, seven strikeouts. I, I guess I'm not nitpicking the guy, but like I, to me watching that Nikhazy game, and this is actually one of the notes I wrote down was like, yeah, he's good. It's good to see him healthy again. But to me, there's another level he could get to. And maybe it was just the lack of length. And I know why Mike did it. I know why he got taken out when he got taken out. And maybe things would have – like my perception of it would have changed if he'd have gone seven shutout innings or whatever. Sure. But to me, there was still just something left there not to be desired. There's another level he could go up, I guess. And that's just kind of underscoring what you're talking about to where, yes, he's really good. Doug Nikhazy's back, like you mentioned. But there was even, like, I thought there was just kind of room for, for another level to go up. I don't think that was necessarily peak Nikhazy. It was very good Nikhazy. Man, if, if so, then he's really unhittable because I, I, that, what he did on Friday night was, was, was dominant to me. I mean, maybe he, it was a link thing to me, right? It's the seven pitches, the five innings. I get why Mike did what he did, like I said. Maybe it was just a link thing. That probably is what it is to where you're just kind of used to him. Because I guess when he's vibing and he's really going like the way he was, it's like, can he go nine? And yeah, then you, yeah. he gets pulled after five, which I know exactly why he did it, right? Like, and that's probably a perfect transition to where Alabama played a really good baseball game, and Ole Miss's pitching staff, um, really kind of the front end of their pitching staff depth, won this game for them, right? Like, 
Ole Miss won this game because they have a Drew McDaniel and Alabama does it, in my opinion. Yes, Nikhazy was really good, but those three innings in the middle where he scatters three hits and was really good. Like, you know, in years past, like, who are you going to there? It's probably a couple of guys to where Drew McDaniel bridged it straight to. And this will probably be my favorite conversation of the broadcast, I mean, of the podcast, <laughs> Broadway for a second time. But, like, to me, that was the difference in the game. Ole Miss had a Drew McDaniel and Alabama did not. Yeah, no, that, that's completely fair. Um, yeah, Drew's kind of that guy, like maybe a Scott Weathersby, maybe an Aaron Greenwood from the 14 and 15 teams that, that you can just bridge it to the closer. And if he needs to start a game, he can do that. Aaron never really started, but uh, Weathersby did late in the 2015 year. Um, yeah, I mean, Drew McDaniel's really good. I, I think they found a home for him in the bullpen. I think, frankly, they found some homes for a lot of people this weekend. Um, you know, real, we'll get to him in the third game, but John Rice Plumley was good this weekend. We have a mailback um, question about that. That'll be a good one, but you're right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Drew McDaniel was spectacular. He gives up, I think, three hits in, in three innings. And, look, he's pitched eight innings of SEC baseball, and he's not walked a guy. Um, that, there's something to be that said for that. That'll work out for him. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, he's got really good stuff. He wouldn't. He was a perfect game 10 coming out of high school. Boy, I sure do hate this for Alabama. Tough scene. Um, but you, right, yeah. so what you just said, though, like you were talking about the Greenwood and the Weathersbys of the world who played very valuable roles for Ole Miss on their respective teams. He's got way better stuff and is way more talented than both of those guys, and that's not a knock on either one of them. It's just a different level of pitcher as well, so it's a better version of both of them. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, man, look. Uh, Drew McDaniel is obviously going to be in the rotation next year. I'm frankly not shocked if he's the Friday guy next year. This is, uh, yeah, yeah. This is this is special stuff. Now, I mean, you've been able to, you know, you've got this guy that, um, if if Nikhazy or Hoagland for whatever reason have a short outing that can bridge it to Broadway, which frankly at this point Broadway is, is spectacular. Um, yeah, man, it's Drew McDaniel was was special on uh, Friday Friday night when Ole Miss didn't really have a whole lot of room for error. Because, frankly, they, they weren't doing a lot against Dylan Smith. No, they weren't. And we'll get we'll, – we'll, we'll, we'll transition into the Broadway conversation. But the way that game went, you know, we talked about as bad as Ole Miss's approach was offensively in the first game. You know, I thought they, they made Ross – is it Ross or Rass? I mean, it's how can we trust the announcers? Um, it's, well, I, yeah, fair enough. So, so Tyra Ross, Ole Miss – Tyler Ross was not terrible for Alabama, the starter in their first game. But Ole Miss's offensive approach made Tyler Ross look a hell of a lot more shiny than maybe he – like the way he was actually pitching would suggest. To whereas in the second game, yes, Ole Miss struggled. It took them, you know, five innings to get a run. They only scored two runs the whole game. But for those first six-ish innings, the Dylan Smith kid was just very good. And Ole Miss, yeah, maybe they didn't have their best game offensively, but they weren't giving that guy outs like they did Ross. No, no. Um, he was really, really good. I was really impressed. And that's when I texted you and I said, hell, if you added pre-lip to this rotation, like this pitching staff is actually very good. Oh, that's – look, I, I, I could be – I could look back in two months and be dead wrong on this. That's a regional team if they had the pre-lip kid. Uh, that, that's a team that goes to regional and, frankly, you don't want to see. Um, so yeah, that this this is not a bad out. This is not like the past three years, Alabama. The, this team can can compete. Um, and Ole Miss played really well this weekend. Was able to get three games. So yeah, look, Dylan Smith was phenomenal. Um, McCants hits the long home run. 
um, which was huge. And, and it kind of just felt like that Alabama was going to have a tough time scoring on, on Friday night. And, and credit to McKenzie, McDaniel, and Broadway, they, they did not let it happen. I was about to say, Ole Miss needed every bit of what they did on the mound, too. And, and, and I, let's talk about T.J. McCants for a second. You know, he, he gets the two starts last weekend in center field, and you and I talked about this at the end of last weekend, where, hey, if he produces offensively and be kind of becomes a mainstay in center field, that raises this team's ceiling up a notch. And eventually there's a ceiling that, you know, this like the ceiling is the ceiling, I guess, I, to, to quote a really stupid right. phrase. Like, you know, there's only so high you can go. Like, they're a better version of themselves with him producing at the plate. And I thought he did it again this weekend. I thought he was really good. Even when he got I – I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what he went for the weekend, but he, he hit a, a lot of hard outs. And, man, he crushed that baseball, the one he put over the fence. His emergence is a big deal for Ole Miss. Yeah. It's, it's and, been huge. Yeah, and here's what I'll ask. Um, and you followed college baseball a long time. Um. So, usually with freshmen, the, what happens is what's happening to Jay Gonzalez right now is, uh, you know, you, you get your scouting report gets out and you have to adjust to it. Is TJ McCann's scouting report not out by now? Because if he's already adjusted to a scouting report, like what's slowing this kid down? Because, I, look, he's played since the first weekend when, when Chatney uh, pulled his hamstring. And so you would think there's enough at bats right now to, to have a scouting report on this kid. And right now, He's just mashing pitches, man. Like, and it's not, it's not just hit fastball. Like, no, nah, dude's hitting curveballs. Dude's, you know, staying in the box and you know, or, or staying in and driving pitches up the middle. Like, this kid can play. He, frankly, right now is a better hitter than Jacob Gonzalez. And that's no slide to Jacob Gonzalez. That kid is going to be special before he leaves here. But right now, he's the best freshman hitter without a doubt. The second to last thing you said is probably the most telling point in all of this, and it was another note that I had written down. It's where it's, it's not just throwaway fastball stuff to where before the you know before things – I hate using Chase Cockrell as a repeated example, but before kind of the book got out on him, the man could knock the shit out of a straight ball. TJ McCants is hitting all kinds of pitches, and I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm actually about to go <laughs> look it up um, here. And you may have just heard me play – Play, play the clip, but I believe the home run was not a fastball. Maybe it was. Let's. I'm okay, watching live action. This is great podcasting. It <laughs> was okay. It was a fastball. Ninety-one yeah. dead down the center. But, to, but, but, but I guess that doesn't diminish the point. I wish that no. would have been a breaking ball. Thanks for nothing, Dylan Smith. But <laughs> he's hitting everything. You're right, and he's kind of covering all aspects of the plate. And he's also very nonchalant about it. Can that guy like? He just, like he, he he knocked that thing 390 feet and just kind of trotted around the bases. I know the umpire was kind of being an asshole about Ole Miss doing their home run celebration or whatever, but then he just kind of walked through all of his teammates, dapped them up, walked back to the dugout, and kind of just like I don't know. He doesn't. He's very stoic about the way he mashes baseballs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that kid, I I think look, uh, but it's not surprising. Highly recruited kid, right? It's just that it's happening this fast. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I wonder. You know, it, and here's my question. Um, this kid's obviously a super athlete. Did they try to make a permanent home for him in center field, or did they move him back into the infield and let him compete for the shortstop position, maybe move Gonzalez to third? I'm just talking about the future for him. Obviously, okay, I feel you're talking like about next year. Because I was about to I'd say this year's center field is, to me, that's it. Yeah, it feels – and look, I will tell you, um, him in center field putting Justin Bench at third base – 
uh, really feels like this that's his, their best version of infield defense. Justin Bench is spectacular at third base. Um, and he was spectacular in center field. But um, they, they upgraded at both corner infield spots by making that move to switch Bench to third and Elko at first. And Elko's not any world beater defensively at first base, but he's better than anything you had from a defensive standpoint because Kel Baker was in there to mash, which he didn't. Trey LaFleur was in there to mash, which, okay, whatever, he got hurt. You upgraded at both corner spots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I thought Bench was a great center fielder. Uh, I think McCants has a chance to be better just because he's more athletic. He's got a faster 60-yard dash. And, frankly, he gets really good jumps off the baseball. Um, I couldn't really tell it this weekend, but it's Swayze on, on the, against Auburn. Man, he got really good jumps on Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, look, uh, TJ His McCants. reflexes are nuts. The, yeah, the, and the line drive that he caught diving in the UCA game, if you actually look to where he had to go by the time where he was standing where the baseball was hit, his reflexes are wild. Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, a lot of people do this thing where, like, oh, he's never played outfield before. Okay, but he's played baseball before. Like, he knows how to catch a pop-up. I don't think this moving from the infield to outfield transition is, is nearly as hard as, as people think it is. Like, he's a really good athlete, and he can catch the baseball. I don't think there's much more to it. Like, yes, there is more to it to, be, to being a good outfielder. I just don't think it's a, something that, you know, pe people have a, th this idea that if you never played outfield before, you can't go out there and catch the baseball. I think he's kind of put that to bed. I agree. If you can play infield, you can play outfield. If you can play outfield, maybe you can't necessarily play infield. But sure. if, you're, if you're athletic enough as an infielder, you could be a decent outfielder in college baseball. Especially a middle infielder. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the kid's a great athlete. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like in college baseball in particular, I got, I got a lot. I'll never forget this. I wrote a preview one time for that 2019 team. I guess it was, it was actually the 2020 team. It was Kel Baker. And, and I was doing the outfield preview and I didn't have enough people as outfield candidates. Like that. I remember that outfield was pretty much kind of set depending on who sure. in, in 2020. And so I, I needed another candidate to just make the piece longer. And so I made this, like, two-sentence case for just sticking Kel Baker in left or right field and just being like, hey, if they had to do it, okay? And maybe it was wrong. Maybe it was ludicrous. But I guess that kind of underscores my point to where it's just like, look, you can kind of make do with whomever, you know what I mean, in one of the corner outfit spots. You may suck defensively, but if Thomas Dillard can play outfield as a freshman, pretty much anyone can. <laughs> Miller got better. It got better. Freshman year was not great in left field. Oh, it was bad. But he actually – and I, I wrote a story about that midway through the 2019 year. Dillard actually – or maybe it was 18. Dillard actually turned himself into a serviceable defensive outfielder. Yes, he was completely fine. It was – and don't misquote me or, or hear me wrong. I'm not comparing the players. It's kind of like Kyle Schwarber, like in left field, where at first it's like, oh, my God, this is unbearable. And now it's like, yeah, he'll probably catch the ball. Yeah, exactly. And because if you look at some of those clips of Diller, poor kid in 17, <laughs> he, he had a rough COVID. And maybe I don't have any statistics to back this up, but the baseball found Mr. Dillard in 2017 a lot. It was just super unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but anyway, so Ole Miss goes through the game. Drew, uh, uh, Drew McDaniel was nails. Again, I, I think, again, as good as Nikhazy was, and it's huge to, for Ole Miss to see him back and to see him healthy. I think the reason the Ole Miss won the game is because Drew McDaniel threw three shutout innings and bridged it to Broadway.
to whereas, yes, Alabama can't hit. Yes, it's kind of skewed the way the pitching staff performed this weekend. But, you know, if you have less depth, who are you going to in the second game of a doubleheader for those three innings instead? Are you going to the, you know, semi-reliable Austin Miller? Are you going to Jackson Kimbrell, who's kind of had his issues at times, to where you can pretty much just kind of count on Drew McDaniel the first time through the order being pretty nails? I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. If You know, what if you start Drew McDaniel in that game and he has to come out after five innings or or whatever – and you don't have a Doug Nikhazy or, 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 you know, a Drew McDaniel in that situation, it's probably, yeah, look, you're probably going to a Jackson Kimbrell and Austin Miller who uh, – Austin Miller gave up runs on Saturday. Jackson Kimbrell did not pitch this weekend. Tyler Myers was used in the first game, um, you know, and, and so you don't really have a ton of options if, if, Drew, if Doug Nikhazy not back this weekend and Drew McDaniel cannot give you some length. So that right there just shows you how, you know, how much of a difference maker this kid makes on the bullpen. Um, he, he saved Taylor Broadway, frankly, because you know Mike would have gone to him if, if, if you know, that got hairy in the eighth inning. Um, Are you, you talking know, about so, the second game? Yeah, yeah. I'm I would have loved I, – I, to hell with it. Let's just get right to the conversation. So he gets – this is my favorite thing I watched this weekend, March – like I think March Madness included. So he gets – they get it to the ninth. Ole Miss is up two to nothing. And he brings Broadway back out. And I texted you while this was going on, and I was like, I don't know off the top of my head how many pitches Broadway threw in the first game. Because we – which also, I had another tweet that just didn't age well at all. I, you were, I was texting you while I was still at work to where, you know, what is the true value of an eighth-run ninth inning? You go from staring a loss in the face to saving your closer. And I don't – so I, 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 I guess we'll, we'll hit this first. I don't put a whole lot of uh, – of stock in Tyler Myers struggling in the ninth before they no, 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 no. Broadway. It was kind of like, okay, this, it was like what happened to the green kid. And then the kid after him, he just kind of ran out of gas. Well, I thought actually Tyler Myers was quite good. Um, well, re- real quick on Tyler Myers. Think about it from his perspective. When he leaves the mound in the eighth inning, yes, his team yes. is, his team is down three to yes. one. He thinks he's out of the game. I'm sure they told him once it got tied, Hey, we're going to Broadway here. And then it's, oh, wow, actually, can you stay in the game? Like, he probably went from I'm done to, oh, crap, I'm back in. Mentally, he gets checked out. And, frankly, he was tired. Like, the, like this guy's already thrown two innings. Yeah, I, I put no stock into that because he was really you're, good. You're, you're absolutely dead on with that. And that was actually, as I'm staring at this stupid-ass notepad, that was what I wrote down was – so I, I should have just started the, the this, conver- this part of the conversation off with posing a question – if you're Tyler Myers, and so you get those outs in the eighth inning, right, what world are you pitching the ninth? Because if <laughs> yeah, all exactly. doesn't score runs, there is no ninth. If they score two, it's tied. You're probably still going to Broadway. Maybe they bring Absolutely. it to I, I doubt it, or someone else. If no, they would go to Broadway. If it's 3 5-3, you're still going to Broadway. Like, literally the only scenario on earth where Tyler Myers is ever stepping out of that dugout again was because they scored eight runs. So you 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 nailed it there. His is my he was checked eight, one, he was tired, two, he was checked out. I don't put much stock in that because that was just one of those weird situations. Like you, you I mean you covered it. We don't have to beat it to death. But what scenario was he ever walking out of that dugout again other than an eighth run ninth inning? 
the only thing I wish Mike would have done differently uh, was when there was some time when Ole Miss got up big to, to get a Braden Forsyth, get a Brandon Johnson loose. There, there was some time to do that and, and have somebody else other than Myers. That's what I, the only thing I wish he'd have done differently this weekend. Yep, I would agree with that as well. And so then it gets hairy and it goes to Broadway. And so, so that this is my favorite part of the conversation. So Broadway has the save. And then he comes out in the second game, which is what we were actually talking about. And I texted you and I said, I don't know off the top of my head how many pitches Taylor Broadway threw in the first game. <laughs> I think I prefaced it with safety aside, I don't hate this. <laughs> and so you said 11 pitches. And then I said, how, uh, <laughs> okay, how many is too many? And I wasn't asking it in like a pointed way. I was just kind of thinking out loud at the same time. I don't know. And then he just texted back, one, one, is, one is probably too many. But he comes back out and he bumps 95 and shuts him down again. What a – I mean, I'll just say it. What a tough son of a bitch. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was gutsy. Um, look, people don't – people, when they do pitch count, it's like, oh, he only threw 11 pitches. Okay, but he threw 20 in the pen to get loose, and then he, he's in a high-stress situation. Um, I will say – and here's where I'll grant Mike a little sight because I, I – I didn't think that bringing him back was maybe our best decision. Um, here's what I'll grant a little slack. He came in up three with nobody on base and retired the first three with really no stress. If that's a one-run game and every pitch is to tie the game or to win the game, that's probably a different scenario. I will say that's a little bit different. Um, I, I am very thankful um, as an Ole Miss fan that he did not have to pitch on Saturday. Um, he, he, he going three games in about 24 hours is not the best thing in the world. I, it reminded me of, and I, I think I texted you this too, was what was the kid that look and Mike's gotten so much better. He's just really evolved with modern baseball in terms sure. of the whole pitch count being a thing. And, you know, Chase always makes a point. You know, John Solomon, who was the CBS columnist for a while, was apparently a columnist at the Birmingham newspaper. And apparently in the late 2000s when the pitch count thing started becoming a thing, just would write this just kind of hate piece vendetta on all the irresponsible assholes that would throw their pitchers too long. And <laughs> shocker, I don't think Mike Bianco took questions for that column too well. But it reminded me of Will Klein. You remember Will Klein? Back in yeah. the day, Mike used to let Lance Lynn and Will Look. Klein just kind of go until – Hey, he's, his arm's still attached. Let's let's run it back out there again. My, my, my buddy sent me – we were talking about this the other day. Um, my buddy sent me a, uh article for when Ole Miss played LSU in 2005, I believe. Let's see. No, 2004. Ole Miss won the game 8-6, to six, okay? Their starting pitcher threw a complete game. Ole Miss's. He gave up six runs and threw a complete game in 2004. He had to throw at least 138 pitches. So, yeah, my, my, Mike's toned that down just a little bit. And, and, look, obviously it was a different age back then, but that, that was the one that always cracks me up. Can you imagine right now if Ole Miss is leading LSU 8-6 to six in the top of the ninth and Swayze later this year and Gunnar Hoagland's still on the mound? At 130 pitches, where Mike's like, oh, I, yeah. think, I think I might get arrested. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And it's just kind of changed. So, 
like the whole uh, again the whole dynamic of college baseball and kind of arm health has changed in the last 10 years like we're, I, it's it's funny to look at nowadays and and will klein's not the best example because poor guy and that likely had nothing to do with mike bianco just he's he no. got in the rays organization his arm got torn up but like going back to broadway i was like man this has got to be taking mike back to 06 or 07 or remember that 08 team in between the the three super regionals at home in a row where they yeah. went to Arizona State and Mike almost got in a fight with that manager that he didn't like. I can't that was 07. That. that was the Super Regional. 07. Sorry, you're, you're exactly right. At Arizona State, that team had like two pitchers total. And he threw Will Claw. Yeah, he would just kind of let them go for whenever. It's like, buddy, you're the closer. Yeah, exactly. So Broadway comes back out and was nails for two games. Man, wait, what else can you say about that guy? Look, Stuff aside, and he was bumping 95 for the second time. I made some dumbass tweet about how that was bad boy Mac Brown level stuff. I had to I had to up my boy's street cred. It's been a whole month and a half before I've tweeted anything about Mac Brown. But, man, stuff aside, like that speaks for itself. The dogged nature and kind of the way he carries himself, uh, if you're a base, college baseball team in June, uh, I'd like to have that guy on my team closing. Absolutely. Him, uh, him shushing the crowd in the first game, Getting the ball in the second game, sitting their ass down, and then throwing the deuces at them is, like, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, I love that stuff. And, look, Ole Miss will have it happen to them, too, because Ole Miss talks noise. Um, but th- that that dude doesn't give a crap and, and is really good to back it up. So, yeah, uh, Broadway's got uh, – he's got the stuff, as they say. Yeah, he, he he does. And, man, you know, this wasn't a uh, – you know, we talk about – I remember from our conversation talking about the whole Chase Cockrell, Tim Elko thing and the differences in that. Broadway was a JUCO kid. Like, this this kind of happened a little bit later for him. Like, this was not some kid that was like, holy shit, how did they get him to campus? He's been awesome the whole time. Like, he just kind of emerged in 19. And, you like, I remember there were rumblings of it at 18 where it was like, have you seen what this kid's doing in the bullpen? And he looked, you know, fine at times. Kind of took him a while to get a little bit of a command. But this was not some slam dunk thing from the start. Like, Ole Miss didn't bring Taylor Broadway to campus to be this kind of a badass from day one. Yeah, well, so Broadway comes to, you know, he gets on campus, I think, fall of 18. And and what you have to remember about Broadway is he's been a two-way player his whole life, and he came to Ole Miss as a two-way player. Yes, he was a very good Juco hitter, and I think they thought he was going to hit here. Um, And for whatever reason, that didn't work out. So, you know, 2019 and into the season and into the summer, he goes and becomes a full-time pitcher. And, look, he was really good in the COVID season last year, and now he's just a freak show. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's – committed full-time to being a pitcher, and you kind of see the the rewards of that. Taylor Broadway, certified badass as prescribed by the Rippy Wright is, podcast with and, Colin Brister and Brian Scott Rippy. Look, it's early. Can you remember a closer right now? Look, and, and Crazy did this when he first became the closer. There's not many guys I trust more than Taylor Broadway if, if Ole Miss has the lead, um, you know, a two-run lead. And I know, look, he's had some bad luck with Belmont. Uh, UL Monroe or whatever, I still just kind of see that stuff and, and the slider and the movement on the fastball. I don't really think there's many more guys that I trust late in the game than him that, that's come through Ole Miss. Maybe Wyatt's short, but that's probably about it. Agree. Uh, the, so what peak Parker Caracy 2018 at Texas yeah. State and Parker Caracy, it was like this kid can literally do no wrong. 
But, you know, Caracy was, I don't want to say a one-trick pony. There was not as much depth to what Caracy did in his approach, um, maybe as much as there was, with, as much, no, not maybe, as much as there is with Broadway. Like, I think Broadway kind of has more weapons in the arsenal than Caracy, and that's not a knock on Caracy. I'll give you another guy, and it's really just the last three closers. I, I know his his career didn't end well at all. And, you know, this we were talking about this for unrelated reason early in the week. Um, 2017 Dallas Woolfolk was at, was really, really good for like, – Yeah, he was insane. It wasn't a sustained consistency type of deal. But, uh, you know, late 2016, early 2017 Dallas Woolfolk, particularly with the way that his fastball move was, was pretty nasty. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate how his career ended. But, yeah, 2017 Woolfolk was filthy. Uh, I, I, I should have mentioned that does not include Scott Biddle. Uh, Scott Biddle's – well, it's either him or head are the best closer under, uh, under Bianco, and I would venture to say all time. I don't know. I'd have a tough debate between Biddle and Head. That, that one's tough. We need to have a uh, you know we need to have a conversation about the most uh, like roller coaster ride closers they've ever Cuba. had. I would say Mount Rushmore number one point one 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 one. No questions asked. Is probably Cody Satterwhite. It, uh, no, see, uh, roller coasters go up and down, not just down. Okay, that's um, that's fair. But there was a time because his stuff was so tantalizing. We were like, all right, satellites and whatever. And you're right. It got so bad at the end. But before the kind of the book was out on Mr. Satterwhite, it was kind of like, ooh, how's this going to go? No, uh, the up and down roller coaster. And, and it's funny. Brett Huber has like a career 2.2 ERA and like a 1.68 whip. I don't know how my man did it. He defied baseball <laughs> analytics. But he walked everybody and then struck them all out. It was the most impressive thing I'd ever seen. All right, so before we go to the Sunday game, and then we'll take the mailbag questions and get out of here because I'm going to keep you for two hours again at this rate. Can I just run through all the stupid notes I jotted down from the two sure. games? Sure. Uh, okay, here's a good one. You ready for this? Sure. Color guy talking about Hoagland battling adversity after the first batter reaches on an infield single was nice. <laughs> To to be fair, you have to fill airtime. I understand it. They were just talking about how many scouts were in the stands. And the guy goes, I mean, the stuff speaks for itself, but this is what I want to see from Hoagland. How's he going when things aren't going his way? After the infield single where he doesn't step on the back. Um, Right, it was his own fault. I guess we we did talk on Hoagland. You know, people will see the six innings, three earned runs. It's like, oh, he didn't pitch well. No, Dunner, Gunner Hoagland was dominant. Two balls got up in the wind. He was awesome again. Like it's there's nothing really more to say to that. He, the balls got up in the wind. Uh, they got out of the park. They don't normally get out of the park when they do that. Unfortunately, Friday the wind was blowing out, and that's the end of the story. Like outside of, I think one of the home runs gets out on a normal day. Uh, Gunner Hoagland was awesome again. Yeah, he he was. He wasn't bad at all. He probably, I mean, was he peak sharp Gunner Hoagland? No, but you're right. And I would say, I can't remember which home run it was. One of them, I would argue, was probably a mistake. The other one was just kind of like, okay, like, what do you, what do, you do about that? Um, yeah. All right, here we go. 25 scouts in attendance was actually kind of cool because you know who they were all there to see. Yeah. Um, um, well, Nikesi probably didn't hurt the calls either. No, that's very true. But they were talking about it in the early game. Uh, sure. So I wrote, I, I drew an arrow from my third note to my first note toward the stupid ass color guy talking about adversity. And I said, Coglin immediately comes back with two K's. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. What's another good one? Oh, Hayden Dunhurst went yard. 
He only has four home runs this year. And I know that's not like a, a low number, but the way he's hit the baseball, just when that guy said it's fourth of the year, I was like, oh, really? That was it? Yeah. Yeah, he's been awesome, though. He's a he's an OBP guy. He's like the analytical, like if you just ran your lineup by analytics, uh, he would be the leadoff guy for Ole Miss because he just gets on base a lot. Hoagland threw four or five in the middle innings, just pretty disgusting sliders. That, to the yeah, point where it's like, what are, you, what are you supposed to do about this as a hitter? Yeah, he, he's filthy. Uh, real quick, any, any concern on Dunhurst's thumb? Because they, they don't need Knox Composter catching. T- Look, Knox is a good guy, uh, works hard. They don't need him catching too many more SEC games. No, they don't, and he hits okay. Um, but, yeah, I would mean I'm just concerned, sure. I mean, they, they need Hayden Dunhurst back there. I mean, they need him both offensively and defensively. I mean, it's, I, I, I would argue – where do you argue at this point? When we went through all those stats the other week, at what point – here's a good debate. What's more valuable, his offense or his defense? Oh, his defense, easily. Um, because, I mean, his defense is the answer because I can come closer to replacing his offense. I cannot replace his defense. That's probably fair, but at the I would I guess the Cowboys. Oh, he's really Cowboys, good now. Which actually has more value on winning games. Uh, it's it's so hard to gauge, right? Because right. like I can't I can't gauge how many pitches he frames. I can't gauge how many people don't run because he's back there. I can't gauge how much how more much more comfortable the pitcher is not having to worry about the guy at first base because Dunhurst is going to throw his ass out. Um, so it's it that that question is hard to have an actual quantifiable answer to. Running down this rapid-fire note sheet, uh, so the two notes I wrote down in real time for both of the home runs, you talked about them kind of being getting up at the win. I also thought both of them were pretty good scout home runs because they were both first pitch, and both of those kids jumped on them. And what yes. we can argue what kind of wood they got on both baseballs, but uh, I just thought that was actually a product of Alabama scouting Hoagland pretty well. Um, because both of those kids knew exactly – not exactly what was coming, but those kids had a pretty goddamn good idea of, like, what was happening and when it was happening there. Those, yeah. The, the, scouting home runs. The thing with Hoagland, and it's like – look, it's like this with every pitcher, but you go and look at Hoagland's numbers after he gets up 0 and you don't have a prayer. So, I mean, that's why what happened against Auburn can happen is he throws eight innings with a relatively low pitch count. I know it was 115, but, you know, eight innings, 115 is not that much. Um that's why, you know, he can throw a lot of innings, not run his pitch count up, because people know if, hey, look, if we don't swing early, we got no shot. Because oh one, oh two, Hoagland, one two, Hoagland, you got no prayer. Uh, another note I had written down, and we talked about this in the past, and it's not really relevant, but like as good as TJ McCants has been, you talk about the flaws of freshman. There are kind of still certain fastballs where he's just kind of behind on to where he probably shouldn't be. But again, whatever. I'm not critiquing the kid. Another one I had was, let's see, Landon Green, the kid in relief that we already talked about that. He was really good. Um, Tyler Myers throws some kind of hanging breaking ball slider. I don't know what it is, but it works and it consistently gets people out. But he maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'll leave this to you. He throws some kind of pitch. To where it kind of starts at the guy's chest and ends at his belt and looks like it should be meat, but no one should, no one hits it. <laughs> yeah, I had noticed that. Um, I will say he did uh, it three times in that first appearance, uh, at least. I will say Myers. I never understood um, why he was able to get out because, like, the slider doesn't look overly special. The fastball is eighty-eight to ninety. It's like what what makes this guy good? Um, I will tell you, Tyler Myers 
has really you, – do you remember Brady Bramlett, obviously, that pitched Ole Miss and the, the spin rate they talk about? Uh, yes, Brady Bramlett, spin rate. Great, great segue. Finish your thought, but I, I had a lot of thoughts on this. Go ahead. He, he has Brady Bramlett spin rate with a little bit more velocity. Um, he's re- So that 88 to 90 plays more like 92 to 94 um, with a high spin rate slider as well. And, and he's, he's really tough to hit in, in short bursts. Great, great comparison. And you know who else has that too is Doug. And that was yes. the thing I was going to get. Here, let me see if I can pull this up because it was uh, – it was interesting to me. I, I, I got their track mandate, I think it was last Sunday, I believe. And so Doug's fastball is, let's see, spin rate, Doug Nikhazy. So Doug's is actually low spin rate, which is fine. It's 1937, so he has a lot of sink on the baseball. And it looks like it works down. Myers is the exact opposite, and it looks like it works up. Um, and you do, like the thing is you don't want to be in the middle. Um, and, and that's – Doug has extreme vertical break on his fastball, which that's what makes him so unhittable, even though he's throwing 89 to 91 miles an hour. So Myers is a better example, but Bramlett was, was kind of like the thing I was centering in on. I almost kind of want to go back and do a story on it in retrospect. So when Bramlett was coming up, and he had shoulder issues for a while, and so it kind of took uh, – I would say like a, a couple years to kind of become like a – you know, what he became in that 2016 team or whatever. But even – you talk about how, like, kind of far analytics have, have come in terms of, like, it sinking into the mainstream of kind of your average baseball fan's vocabulary. Back in the day in 2016, this was just five years ago, really not even five years ago fully at this point, people were describing Brady Bramlett's fastball as quote-unquote heavy because yes. it was not a common term back then. And so anyone you talk to, where it's like, yeah, he's throwing 89 – but it's a real heavy fastball, and it sneaks up on you like more than you think so. And what they were trying to articulate was spin rate, but it's just funny, just five years ago – I mean, hell, I did a story on Brady Bramlett's fastball one time, and literally six guys were like, it's just a real heavy fastball. It comes in like a bowling ball. And it's like, these poor meatheads, like they need some nerds to talk for them. Like, but that's what they were trying to talk about, and I think that's a great example. And it's funny seeing people talk about spin rate even on broadcasts and shit, now to where it's mainstream – but that's exactly what they were trying to articulate with Brady Bramlett. It was just kind of before his time. Right. I mean, Gunner is, is the guy that uh, – I mean, like, to put it in context, um, you know, Gunner's spin rate is, let's see, 26.03. The next highest on the team is 23.22 with, with Derek Diamond. So, think about Gunner from a Brady Bramlett perspective. Uh, Bramlett's throwing 87 to 89. Gunner's throwing 93 to 90 or 92 to 94. Like that fastball plays like 95 to 97. And that that's why Gunner's freaking unhittable. That's why that's why Gunner gives up a bunch of homers because they can't string hits together off of it. Right. That's a good point. I've never thought about it like that. Um, all right. So last note I'll have before we get to the Sunday game, and then we'll take questions and get out of here. The uh the, what was I about to say? I literally just lost my train of thought. Oh, the other note I had. The, can we get the, on the broadcast some game notes? The amount of times he said with just confidence of anything I've ever heard of someone having confidence, like the most confidence of anyone on earth, that Peyton Chatagnier used to play first base and Kel Baker got mono was staggering. And I was bored at work. And so I fired off some stupid tweet. Like, I tagged Alex Sims 
and was like, can we get this man some game notes? And I looking back, I, I, I mean, it wasn't actually a big deal, but I kind of felt bad. I was like, oh, like I didn't mean to make Alex sound like he didn't get the TV guy game notes. Alex Sims, one of the best in the biz, always has good stats, always accommodating, always has insightful information that helps us out. Obviously, and I DM'd him about it too. I was like, it's very apparent that this man did just not read your game notes. Like, I don't Cause he sent me, Alex sent back a screenshot to the tweet that said could not have been more thorough with like six paragraphs on Ole Miss's first base situation. What is that guy's problem? I don't know. I didn't understand that the entire time. He, he, Eli gold is one hell of a football announcer. He, Baseball, he, maybe not so much. So that was Alabama's radio guy. Yes, that was, that was Ole Miss's David Kelly. Okay, so and he is a good announcer. I know Eli Gold. I guess I just never made the connection, but it, I get it. He's a football guy. He probably works for their IMG network. He's probably not just real dialed into Alabama baseball and pretty pumped about it. But good God, he did it for two. Years. <laughs> Keep saying John Ye got hurt and it's become a revolving door at first base ever since. It's like guy, like I, I get it. At the same time, even if you got bad info, John Ye's like five ten, isn't he? Like, maybe look out there. <laughs> Come on, man. But it, it wasn't even that. It was just the confidence he kept saying it with. And I, God, that drove me crazy. I don't like dumping on announcers. I, I like it's a hard job. You go try to do play by play. Then, literally, the only way you can get good or better at play by play is just reps, doing after it. reps after reps. It's a hard job. I hate dumping on it. But, man, when you're just confis- consistently saying stuff, that has not happened is not true. I, I have a hard time getting sympathy for you. Uh, the, the SEC Network was the Sunday game, which is probably a good transition. But last thought, the color guy was good. It's just uh, Mr. Uh, Eli Gold was probably not as prepared as maybe he should have been. Um, Sunday game, I'll just open it up to you. What are your thoughts on that? I thought Diamond pretty good. Uh, Did he go six? He, he was fine. Um, I think it was great. I thought it was fine. Uh, the, the first inning, you know, obviously gets pitch count gets up. I thought it was impressive how economically it was after, you know, throwing 52 through uh, two innings and he gets through six innings and throws 104. Which um, is – you're exactly right. It had been his problem – not his problem this year. It was weird. It wasn't his best start. But you talk – economical is a great way to put it. He still ends up going six, which he has not done a ton this year. Sure. And, and, and Diamond – so it depends on how you like what lens you want to view a diamond through, right? And this is where, um, this is where I think you get in trouble. It's like, yes, what Derek Diamond did was fantastic for a guy on Sunday. Absolutely. If you're going to give me six innings, three runs on Sunday, or or the third game, whatever you want to call it, I'll take that every series. But when I look out there and I see the guy throwing 95 to 97 with the sharp slaughter, it's like, yeah, I don't like that guy's not Sam Smith. No offense to Sam Smith, but like. This dude should be a freak, and, and he was for a lot of the game on, on Saturday. Um, and he absolutely was against Auburn. So, I get tired of when people tell me, oh, I'll take that for my Sunday guy. Well, that's not your normal Sunday guy. So, I'm not going to view Derek Diamond as a Sunday guy. Now, that being said, he pitched more like a, a, a Friday or Saturday guy on, on, on Saturday in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, too. But it's, it's, it's one of the reasons you change – Talk about the lens you want to view this team. It's it's one of the reasons where you talk about this team being there at the very end of end of things. Their Sunday guy is not your normal Sunday guy. It's a guy that could be the face of a rotation one day. Um, from both the talent standpoint, I mean, this is a kid that was going to Stanford until their admissions process. You know, if only he had kind of, you know, talked to that lady from Full House and maybe gotten some things going on for him. Wait, do you think maybe – no, her kid went to USC. I was going to say, like, maybe her kid got his spot. 
Yeah, I mean, Derek Diamond would have been better off joining the rowing team at Stanford or USC. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know the backstory, Derek Diamond, and I've, I've talked to him multiple times. I, I say that as if, like, I know the guy. I've talked to him in a media setting multiple times. Incredibly smart kid, was headed to Stanford. And, you know, this is kind of the David Shaw thing you talk about with football, where, like, their recruiting standards are different. I'll tell you what, I gained more appreciation for David Shaw by learning about Derek Diamond's story. For the kid <laughs> upper twenties ACT, and they're like, "Nah, you didn't get in, so you're not going to Stanford." Like, yeah, it's, it's not like Derek. Dodgers not in. Uh, it's, it's not like Derek Diamond was a, was a slouch academically, right? Like this dude's probably like pulling a twenty nine on his ACT in a four, and they were just like, "Nah, you're not good enough." I don't know his exact ACT number, but I bet it's higher than mine. And I'm not a complete idiot, contrary to what you might hear on this podcast. But exactly, he's not some academic slouch. He just fell victim to. Stanford's academic standards, but Stanford, very good baseball program, very talented kid, finds a home at Ole Miss. And my, my dad hates this when I do this, but I texted him yesterday and I was like, look, like, it, I would say there's probably three teams Mike has had since he's been at Ole Miss that were really kind of like truly, truly just like this team could actually win the whole thing. And I think this is one of them. I'll say four. I'll, I'll say four. What's the fourth? Because I know the three are obvious. Uh, 05. Uh, actually, I'll say five. 05, 09, 14, 18 in this one. That 18 team could have won the national title if they didn't just poop themselves that Monday. Fair enough. So I didn't have 14 or 18, but obviously the three are well, obvious. Well, the 14 team finished third in the country, man. Yeah, that's fair. That's that, that's fair. I, I guess it's like cable. But also, and you, you talk to the guys. Actually, if you actually like – like I've talked to the guys after the fact too. I've talked to Austin Anderson about this a couple times. I've talked to this about Sykes Orvis. That team – granted, they were no slouch. They were not scrubs. Like it was not some Cinderella story. But if you're actually kind of doing the Mount Rushmore of most talented teams oh, – No, 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 no. It's not close. Had, like the 08 team that actually sucked was – you could argue was way more talented than the 14 team. Yeah. The way that group came together. Um, but I, you could argue that 14 is not in the top five of most talented. Would you disagree? Yeah. I could argue that. I think I'd put them there. But, yeah, because, I mean, 05 is more talented without a doubt. 18 and 19 are more talented without a doubt. 09, I think, is more talented. So then it, it you get into that. I'm talking I'm talking you can make an argument about 08 and a couple in between. Yeah, I mean 06, yeah. I mean, because you have Coglin and Lynn on that team. Yeah, easily. That team, that team at 14, I tell you what, this team reminds me of them though. It it's it's just something about being able to find ways to win. And everybody does the and 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 I had some friends do this when Ole Miss was beating, you know, uh Belmont and last at bats and beat ULM and a last at bat. It's like yeah, they didn't play well, and they won. Like, there is something to say. Because well, it's 56-game season, man. Like, you're not playing well every day. The ability to not play well and win is, is something that you shouldn't take for granted. It's a good transition to what we were going to talk about. I mean, what the next thing I had to talk about in the Sunday games, where, you know, you talk about, like, signs that this team kind of has the hammer, hammer instinct or whatever. Well, they – Get up two games. They win the day night doubleheader. They get down one nothing early. You know they're down one nothing through four innings, and then put it up eleven runs in the last five frames, and really just kind of slammed the door. And these sweeps are gigantic. I'm not breaking any news with that. You know they perform well offensively after kind of struggling through the first four innings. To me, that's another sign that this team is just really not. Um, if you want to like put it in cliche terms, just kind of has their absolutely just relentless attitude. John Rice Pumley was pretty good in that game, right? He doubles down the right field line. 
He scores McCants. Like those middle innings, they they really just put the hammer down on some pretty average Alabama pitching once they got into the meat of the bullpen. Uh, any other major thoughts? I, I thought I just thought the Sunday game was was what it was. Ole Miss wasn't great on the mound, particularly behind Diamond. I know Austin Miller wasn't particularly great. Russ Burton, okay. You bring Josh Mallett back in, okay. Whatever happens, you know they get up big, whatever. Um, but any other encompassing thoughts other than the offense? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have one. Um, so, you know how, like, back in the fall of 2019, like, me and you got accused of being a John Rice Plumley hater? You remember that? Because he couldn't throw? Because he couldn't throw. Well, he can I throw know. a baseball. That's fair. We've never said yeah. that. No, he can throw a baseball 95 miles an hour off the mound, which tells you it's a hand size issue. But anyways, um, it is time to play John Rice Plumley in right field. Okay. It, it, <laughs> hold that thought. So I, I'm not – I'm not. we have a mailbag question about this, and I think when you hear the question, your answer will be even better. So hold this thought. Plumley aside, okay. any other all-encompassing thoughts? Uh, no. Um, glad, glad Taylor Broadway didn't have to pitch. Tell me, tell me Elko's a monster. Um, some people are doing the oh, – Kevin Graham didn't have a good weekend. Okay, but he hit 500 last weekend. Like, maybe just chill out. He's going to be all right. Yeah, he was two for 14, had a tough first game, and then got collected a couple hits in the second and third game. I'm not really worried about Kevin Graham. No, no, he'll be fine. It's going to be all right. Okay, so let's hit these mailbag questions because this is technically the people's holiday. It's taken us an hour to get to the people's holiday questions. Apologies for anyone falling asleep at the wheel. Um, Let's roll through these real quick, and then we'll uh, get out of here. The uh, I'll just go to the first one uh, first that you were talking – because it's a good transition from baseball. Here we go. Uh, where is it? God, this is great podcasting. Someone asked, okay, here we go. Final question. Magic Swing McCants. This is from Ole Miss Hoops HQ. I bet that's not on your birth certificate. Uh, the Magic Swing McCants looks really natural in center field, and he has shown potential at the plate. I would say both things are true. I would say that's absolutely an understatement of the century. With John Rice Plumley in at the same time, that's a really speedy outfield. Am I crazy to start thinking we're about to see a lot more of Plumley? Floor is yours. No. Uh, no, look. Um, at some point, you look at Hayden Leatherwood's numbers, and, and they're not good. Uh, he's not very good against left-handed pitching. He's not that great against right-handed pitching. He's not a great outfielder. So, if I'm going to have a not great outfielder, he's going to have to at least hit. And we're at least – you know, close to halfway into the season, and he's not hitting. And John Rice Plumley has proven just as adequate at the plate and is a hell of a lot better outfielder. It's time to play him um, and at least give him an everyday shot and see if he can hit well enough to stay in this lineup. And if he can't, it makes your outfield defense extremely good. Because I don't think, look, maybe I'm insane. I don't think Kevin Graham's a bad left fielder. I don't think he's extremely fast, but you don't have to be that fast to be a good outfielder. Um, just make good reads and get the balls you should. And a lot of that, it, the, the speed issue gets covered up by a guy like T.J. McCants. Um, but, yeah, I, I think John Rice Plumley is going to get opportunities in right field the next few weekends. And if he can prove himself adequate at the plate, I think he might be your everyday right fielder going forward. It's an interesting way to phrase that. And I, I, I couldn't – I mean, I say I couldn't agree more. I don't disagree at all. It's interesting because, like – exactly kind of as you articulated Hayden Leatherwood has not been very good and so at what point like at what point do you make the switch because he's not bringing anything to the table and it's kind of a it's kind of a spinoff of a conversation that people were having I think us this podcast included I, I don't remember off the top of my head 
But we were talking about the center field job. Maybe I was talking about this with Chase uh, a while back. But there was a point where – I don't remember if it was – it definitely wasn't bench struggling because particularly when Chatagnier was out, bench solidified the lineup. It was someone else that was not producing in the lineup. I don't know who. I don't think it's necessarily relevant to this conversation. But the, the argument that we were trying to pose was – at what point do you just play someone like, and this is before McCants' emergence, too. I should have prefaced it with that. It was like, at what point do you just play Plumlee? It was, it was playing him over Kale Baker was what it was. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So it's, yeah. it, it, it's kind of a spinoff of the conversation of, at what point do you just move it around and play Plumlee in center field because you're going to get something out of it defensively, you know, particularly you're not getting anything offensively with Baker. So why not try to get something? instead of nothing, to where that conversation's been decided with the way T.J. McCants has played, obviously. But it, this is almost even a more crystal clear version of that conversation to where Hayden Leather was not authoring you anything to where if you stick in John Rice Plumley in right field, you know you're getting something better than what you're already – like than what you currently have. And if the kid hits it all, okay, great. It's even better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just have to – it's like – it's a math equation, right? What does this guy provide me defensively? Plus, what does he provide me offensively? And does that compare better than the other guy? And frankly, I mean, Hayden hey, – look, I don't mean to crap on the kid because I do think there is a role for Hayden Leatherwood on this team, whether it's an everyday starter or as a pinch hitter. I don't think he's the kid you throw to the side and don't let play anymore. I just kind of think, look, he's had a tough year so far. You, you, you give John Rice Plumley an opportunity, and they did on Saturday, and he took advantage of it. Um, and he's made himself and, – and I think Mike said this after the game. He was not a great outfielder last year. Yes, John Rice Plumley can fly. Absolutely. That does not make you a great outfielder. Um, he's made himself into a really good outfielder. And, and I mean, look, he's, a, he's been a defensive replacement for Leatherwood for a lot of the year. Um, you know. I think it's probably just time to let him have at bats and see if he can give you anything. And if he can't, you can always go back to Leatherwood. Um, but I, I do think it's time to have that conversation where you say, hey, man, look, if he's going to provide me something in the outfield and provide me just as much deep offensively, then then I've got to play this kid. Yeah, exactly. It's something you can work out without – I mean, it's not a huge problem as is, but you're also, you're also constantly trying to find ways to refine – Let's the be very clear um, – the, the, the DH spot is not solidified. This, this is not a situation where Hayden Leatherwood could not move into that DH spot with Ben Van Cleve and Calvin Harris. Yep. And exactly. You have pretty much two spots on this team that aren't solidified, and it's these two, no? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of absolutely. good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the DH spot, and it's right field. Um, and Hayden Leatherwood gets, should get a crack at both of them because, I mean, you know, I think the kick can hit. He, he showed last year he can hit. Um, but it's probably just time to consider that, you know, he's not going to give you a ton defensively, and the guy that would replace him defensively has, has shown that he's a little bit better at the plate this year. Yeah, agree. Uh, Mike only tweeted two lineups this weekend, so they went Harris, Van Cleve on Saturday. Harris, Van Cleve, Dunhurst was the DHs. Dunhurst did not catch on Saturday. That's right. Okay, you're right. So, Harris – Van Cleve. Dunhurst. Yeah. Wait. Which put, puts Knox LaPoster in the field. But Mike's lineup card had Van Cleve at DH on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. That lineup that you're looking at did not actually happen. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So it went Harris, Van Cleve, Dunhurst. 
Yes. Um, Alabama actually changed their pitcher from a left-handed guy to a right-handed guy. I think he had a strain or something in the bullpen. So, it, th- those lineups were all out of whack. Interesting. Yeah, the Dunners uh, the, the Dunners thumb thing, not great. No, no, it's concerning. Maybe it's just a doubleheader thing, too. Yeah, that's, that's also not easy. And that's why Mike doesn't catch his guys in the midweek if he can help it. Um, yeah. All right, here we go. Let's see. We'll go through another mailbag question. That was a good question by Ole Miss Hoops HQ. We'll go for a second one. It seems to me that middle of the order is really failing to produce right now. I'm not sure I'd agree with that. Elko keeps yeah. offense with a four-for-five game, two performance. Do you get the feeling this offense could continue to improve as players gain SEC experience? No, no. I just don't think I agree with any part of this question. Yeah, Kevin Graham kind of sucked in game one. Uh, to be honest, Tim Elko wasn't great in game one. But no, Elko wasn't great in game one besides the, you know, go-ahead double. But, look, right. I, I do – Everything's forgotten if you do that. But if you look at the totality of his at-bats in the first game, it wasn't great. No, and it wasn't, he wasn't great in the second game. Um, but, you know, you can erase all that with, a, with the Saturday that he has. Look, I do think they will get better with experience. I think that point's valid. Um, I, I think the middle of the order is fine. I mean, look, Hayden Dunhurst was fine this weekend. Tim Elko was good. Kevin Graham struggled. Um, you know, Justin Bench was good this weekend. Peyton Shatney was good this weekend, I thought. Um, so, no, I, I think the middle of the order is fine. Um, TJ McCants, I think there is an argument that T.J. McCants needs to move up in the order, I will grant that they're probably worried he gets pitched differently if they do that. They don't want that. Um, I think there's going to be some freak out over Jacob Gonzalez not being very good this weekend and not being very good last weekend. He's going to be all right. It's, it's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, like that, that, that kid's going to be really good. And he have a two-day Sunday. He wasn't good the first two games. So he was two for four Saturday, excuse me. Yeah, he's fine. And people got on him all oh, – and here is where I don't agree with a lot of baseball traditionalists. It's like, oh, he didn't – he's swinging at the first pitch and popping it up every time. Man, he's getting a first pitch fastball. Like, just let him hit. You know, I mean, yeah, you can sit there and take a first pitch fastball for a strike or you can swing it. Like, he's a Division One baseball player, and he's a really good one. I'd rather him just take his cuts and, and see what happens rather than sit there and try to work a walk with a guy that's not extremely fast. Yeah, and I mean, you know who else got a first pitch fastball? Mr. Elko in the biggest hit of the game. Twice. Yeah, and exactly. he crushed them both. Exactly. And absolutely, the, the first one he just absolutely demolished. I mean, you knew off the bat, like, I guess wasn't – I hate to throw the major league too high. Wasn't high enough to go over the fence, but just absolutely knocked the piss out of the ball. Um, yeah, I'm just I, – I, look, man, when your lineup – like, where are the holes in this lineup other than Leatherwood? Like, who – where is a consistent hole in this lineup and so I would say you're not really getting it anywhere. And so if it, I would say the middle, front, back end of whatever way you want to kind of, um, I guess, categorize this order, when you have eight of nine dudes pretty good at all times, it doesn't really matter which part is producing more than others, I would say. I would say there's less value emphasized on that. Yeah, yeah. No, this line's fine, and I think they're only going to get better. I mean, how they scored nine, eleven, and again – won a 2-0 game on Saturday, but they scored 9-11 runs the other two games. Scored 22 runs against the SEC team after scoring, what, 26 last weekend? I don't play. Yeah, I mean, it is going to be fun as this team continues to ascend to watch Ole Miss fans try to neg them in some way. Um, are you are you excited for when uh, Kumar Rocker, Jack Vider, and whoever the hell Vanderbilt throws on Sunday that I'm sure throws 97, um, come into Oxford and Ole Miss scores three runs and we talk about energy all weekend? 
Yes, and then I'm excited to ask Tim Corbin uh, how he was able to get this on 11.7. Um, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I know that. I know that kind of uh, lights the fire. So we'll, we'll, we've got a long season, dude. He's very approachable about that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he is. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Is this on pace to be the best Ole Miss team baseball team y'all have seen in your lifetime? Uh, I mean, it depends on how the postseason goes. They could be. That's a longtime listener, Brody Clayton, who asked that question. By the way, um, yeah, I mean. We we outlined this earlier in the show. I and again, I don't really like. Again, I am. I guess my kind of reporter nature is very skeptical at the surface. I mean, hell, even that eighteen team kind of being as hot as they were, I was like too probably maddingly, madding, maddingly skeptical to you at times. Um, but this team, I, I mean, I look at it, it's like what what don't they have at their best strength? So yeah, I, I would I would answer yes. Do you have anything to add to that? They they have a top what 10 pitcher on friday night they have a borderline first or second round guy on saturday they have a guy that i think could be a first or second rounder by the time he leaves here i think drew mcdaniel will be a third or fourth round pick uh taylor broadway is awesome um and i haven't even gotten to the lineup which we just said is pretty good yeah this this team has a chance to look man i'll just i'll put it out there you tell me this team doesn't go to the College World Series, I'm not shocked. You tell me this team wins the national title, I'm not shocked. They're, they're, they're good enough, and they've got enough flaws to do either one. Um, but this team can win the national title if it plays extremely well. It could also lose its own region. I mean, it's – there's – Do any flaws, though? No, no they – bullpen's not deep. Other than that, there's not really any. Um, but, I mean, the a bullpen, bullpen not being deep. They have enough dudes that have, quote, unquote, done it before. They're just sure. pushing it full capacity right now. This is not – like, I would – the way I'd push back on that bullpen note was it, it's not a bullpen that just, like, it's like, okay, this is what they are, and they just have what they have, and you spread thin, and this is how you do it. They have dudes that can do it, which is – Yeah, no, they just haven't done it. Um, no, but, look, I mean, anytime – look, I won't say this about every Ole Miss team. I didn't think the 2016 team that – uh, should have been a national seed, could win the national title. This team can win the national title. It can also have a crappy day and pull a Tennessee Tech. But, yeah, if you're just talking from a talent perspective, yeah, they're good enough to win the College World Series. Certainly good enough to go. Mike's best coaching job. That team was yeah. not that good. Um, the only other one I could argue was 2015, the year before, that was absolutely horrible, and he got them to a two-seed in a regional. They were. They were. Uh, they went out to UCLA, and they were, uh, yeah, that that team that you talk. You're right. I mean, the go look at what they try. They had to do to piece together the back end of their starting rotation. Oh my God, we covered that before. Anyway, uh, Brody's other question is biggest surprise in the SEC so far. I, I would say oh. Tennessee or Kentucky being five and one. I got you on Florida. I don't think they're very good. Yes. And, and so they sweep opening weekend and then they get swept by South Carolina, correct? Correct. They lost their opening. Here's the SEC East picture for you. You ready for this? Sure. Vanderbilt's five and one. Okay. Water's also wet. Congrats to those plucky underdogs. Then <laughs> Tennessee five and one. Kentucky five and one. South Carolina four and two. Florida's three and three. Georgia's two and four. Okay. Missouri one and five. Honestly, maybe a little bit better than they should be. <laughs> They're horrible. They are horrendous. I watched, I watched them against Vanderbilt twice. They are god-awful. Uh, maybe the worst SEC baseball team I've ever seen. Um, but, yeah. 15. 
yeah, they're awful. <laughs> like, like, you tell me that team goes 3-27, and 27 and I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Uh, yeah, they're wholeheartedly. They're 8-15. and 15. Georgia's not any good, and Georgia's record is 16-7 and seven overall. <laughs> the overall yeah, like, A&M sucks, baseball. too. Yeah, Missouri is 8-15. and 15. So, uh, bigger surprise, yeah. Tennessee or Kentucky? I would lean Kentucky. Okay. But they swept um, yeah. Auburn. They also swept Auburn, which it's Auburn kind of gimpy on the mound right now. So probably go Auburn. I, excuse me. Yeah. I have a I have a friend that's involved with Kentucky baseball. As weird as that sounds, um, I'm not exactly shocked. There. Let's put it like this: uh, the recruiting coordinator that was at Mississippi State at, under Canizzaro that's got all those guys there now is at Kentucky. Uh, they're going to be pretty good for a while. They, uh, they've got a pretty good program going on. They, uh, I tell you what, Kentucky goes to Starkville this weekend. Be interesting. Stay for play. Uh, that's kind of a, uh, a what are you made of series for state? Is yeah, it? that's it, that that's good. you got to have some mental toughness. You better show up if you're state because I'm telling you, Kentucky's good enough to beat them. How will Ole Miss baseball disappoint me this year? See, we're already getting to this. <laughs> Man, look. All right, can I, can I I'll, I'll say something real quick. Look, I, I have followed Ole Miss baseball since 2001, 20 years. And, yeah, there's been some really sh- shitty moments in the postseason, absolutely. I cannot fathom. Like, I don't have the energy to root for a team that I just think is going to screw it up in the postseason. I get why people have that mindset. But, like, if that was my mindset, I just – I wouldn't be involved. Um, so, like, my – I'm an Ole Miss fan. I, I think Ole Miss is going to put themselves in a really good position, and I hope they play really well on the postseason. Maybe 2014 when they won the Louisiana uh, Lafayette Super Regional will change me a little bit. But I just – look, I know 2018 sucked. I get that. 2016 sucked. I get that. But I, I'm never going to be one that just thinks that, like, impending doom is coming. Would agree with that. And just until something weird happens in June – like, uh, you know, Ole Miss never taking advantage of uh, runners in scoring position and they just collect life getting sucked out of the stadium. That's when the impending dupe comes. I would agree with everything you just said as well to where if you're an Ole Miss fan, like, chill the hell out, man. It's March. Like, please don't forecast – like, you, you, you're, it's a wasted exercise to forecast impending doom in March. Shit gets weird in, in June. Okay, fine. Forecast impending doom all you want. But I think you're exactly right. This team's good. No matter what has happened – in postseason's pass. None of that matters. This team is good. Do you think, think Gunnar Hoagland gives one shit about Tennessee Tech? But that's what we were robbed of last year. That's <laughs> what we were – no, I'm serious. As a, I say we, I was covering it. That was the storyline we were robbed of last year. That was what was developing last year is it's unfairly, fairly, whatever. This is the most Ole Miss thing ever. Dillard, Kessinger, Roth. Whomever, it's a lot of Mississippi kids that fairly or unfairly squared the burden of postseason's past and really felt that shit. I mean, the, the weight that that team carried after what happened in 2018 through 2019 was was evident every single day they showed up to the ballpark. I mean, it, it, it's undisputable. That's the weirdest baseball team I've ever covered in my life, and it was because of that. But what happened in 2020 before the shutdown was – None of those guys, like you said, none of those guys gave a shit. They're not from Mississippi. Which one of these kids in the infield is from Mississippi? Is there a single? Uh, 
benches from I don't know. I don't know he's not from Mississippi. He's from no. Mississippi, Ohio, where his father played all the time. Jacob Gonzalez, not from Mississippi. California. Peyton Chanier, not from Mississippi. Tim Elko. Georgia. Not from Mississippi. None of them are from Mississippi. TJ McKay. Except Plumley. Pensacola, Florida. John Rice Plumley from wherever they invented the piano. I know he's from Hattiesburg. I, but like Plumley didn't like Plumley didn't grow up an old Miss fan either. Like right. you know, I mean he so he doesn't give a crap about 2018. No, I mean, no, this team, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think – what, there's one individual that was on the 2018 – I guess two with Greer Holston. But Tim Elko didn't play much in 2018. Greer Holston played a lot, but I don't figure he'll have much of a role on, on this team in the postseason. So, you have one guy that – and I don't think Elko even played in that regional unless he played in the first game when they got up by a lot. I don't so, think he played like, um, Yeah, so, like, it doesn't matter. Like, these kids – I don't think they're going to be affected by, you know, what happened against Tennessee Tech. And frankly, look, yeah, Elko played a little bit in 2019. I think he actually started game three of the Super Regional in Arkansas. They just – and this is where I, I struggle a little bit with some Ole Miss fans. It's like they do the tight thing. And, yeah, that, that applies sometimes. It didn't apply that day in Fayetteville, Arkansas. They just got their ass kicked. And, and Arkansas was just better than them that day. So, I don't think that when, you know, in, in June of 2021 that Tim Elko is going to be freaking out because something didn't go right in Fayetteville, Arkansas two years ago. No, not in the slightest. And the, but it's, uh, I guess to hammer that point home, it's different when it's Gray Kessinger and Thomas Dillard sure. and Houston Roth. There's kids and Will go up at yeah. Oxford. And whether they were Ole Miss fans, quote, unquote, or not, you know, I mean, we all know. Everyone listening to this podcast that has any affiliation with Oxford, Mississippi, it's a small town. You, you, you feel the community. You feel the vibrantness of, you know, the, the sports teams, whatever. Like, it, this is, team is different, I guess is what I'm saying. We've made this point yeah. a bunch. I don't want to really want to harp on this too much, but you're exactly right. This, this team is filled with a bunch of kids that just don't give a shit, and they have a much more of an FU attitude. And so but if they fail, if they lose in a Super Regional to someone or whatever – that doesn't – that has nothing to do with anything that's happened in the two decades prior. They just failed. If they failed. If they succeed, they succeeded. They were also like, – the, the flip side of this is, you know, some – maybe I'm wrong because I like everyone in the media on the Ole Miss beat currently. But someone, in my opinion, is going to try if this team kind of reaches its ceiling and goes where we think it might go to try to pull the postseason's past article thing. And guess what that would have worked for? The 2019 team, to where that fueled them to ascension and all that crap. Guess what that doesn't work for? This team. This team does not care. That it, there is no correlation there. No. And that was – that was so, you know, stay with me here. The 2014 team was five years from losing a Super Regional. They probably just didn't care that Drew Pomerantz lost in game two against Virginia or that Evan Button made a bad throw. Kind of feels that way with this team a little bit. Kind of just we don't we don't give a shit. Like it is what it is. That yeah, they they lost some games. Um, and frankly, man, like you know, even if you're tight or whatever, like Gunnar Hoagland still throws ninety three with a high spin rate. Like tight doesn't really matter if they can't hit the baseball. Yeah, and that I would argue the twenty fourteen team was different because if you actually ask any of those kids, it was like. Yeah, so what was what was the problem with the 2014 team was is you're right in the sense that um that they didn't necessarily care what happened in 2009. But what sucked about that team was is Mike was on the hottest of hot of hot seats. 
before the year, yeah. And you ask any of those kids, Sykes Orvis talks about it all the time. Anytime you call him up for anything, you ask him, he's like, yeah, we felt that. Like, we didn't necessarily feel the weight of postseason pass, but we felt our guy, you know, pretty much kind of being on the ouster. And then I was like, he's like, the only time we ever felt anything of postseason pass and all that crap was when you got to game three of UOL. And it was kind of like, okay, you know, we haven't done this in a while. You know, like, like the, you're feeling it there, but this is not that because they went to Omaha a half decade ago. Like, this is not yeah. been that long. No, and that's that's the thing when people do though. We never go to Omaha. You went seven years ago. Like, like, like yeah, you should have gone more. Don't get me wrong. Twenty eighteen or the twenty nineteen team should have gone to Omaha. I get that, but you know, don't 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 say this program can't get there when I saw them. You know, dog pile on the mountain seven years ago. I don't know. We can move to the next question. We probably spent too long on this. I was about to say I'm about to keep you for a full two hour podcast. Good yeah, God, whatever. here we go. Our average runs per game is what Breadman fan account, I don't understand Twitter, says our average runs per game, run scored against starting pitching in SEC play can't be good. I don't know how to look this up or how you would find this, but it seems like a large portion of our runs comes off relievers. How concerning is this? How is it zero? Starting pitching is very good in the SEC. Breaking. I, I actually thought about this, this exact point that he's making, though. Um, yeah, no, no, it's, it's not a bad point. I would just say starting pitching is very good. Yes, is their approach against Alabama been bad? Sure. Maybe it, it, Maybe we're sitting here talking about this in two weeks to where it's like, okay, maybe this team kind of needs to change something up against the top line of the top line pitching. I don't put a ton of stock in it now. No, I don't now. Um, I will say, you know, you, you, you've scored one run in, what, seven, 14 13 innings against Friday night guys probably need to do a little bit better than that. I'm not concerned yet. I do think it's a, I I actually had the same question. I will tell you the numbers will actually be better than you think because they tore up the kid from Auburn on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, They tore up the kid from Alabama yesterday. Um, So the numbers will actually be better than you think. I do think there is a little bit of concern, not concern. That's not the right word. I can understand what he's saying about the approach on Friday night guys. It's, it's not been good. But like you said, Friday night guys in this league are really good. Yeah, I, it is. It, I, I was sounding like an ass there, but he has a valid point. The approach against Friday night guys has not been good. The approach against Auburn's guy, not good. The approach against Ross, not good. Um, no. But I kind of like to see it for a couple more weekends. The second part of the questions he asked is, and I don't necessarily agree with this one, but I would like to point out our listeners ask good questions. We've run through three there, and they're all very thought-provoking questions. So. Uh, props to the listener there. Do y'all think Florida comes in pissed off, or are they just not as good as everyone thought? I'm scared um, they're going to play like their hair is on fire and Ole Miss gets their ass kicked. Um, I, I don't, don't really buy into that. I, I, I don't in baseball. I, I don't think, buy into that. Yeah, go ahead. It's all you. I, I, I don't buy into that in baseball at all. Like, it's, it's 27 innings. That's too long to play pissed off, right? Like, you tell me on Friday night there, yeah, you're pissed off, you, you lost to South Carolina, whatever. Tommy Mace is on the mound. He has a great night, whatever. Um, I don't think that's sustainable over 27 innings. I, I, I get what he's saying. I think it's more that Florida's not that good. And when I say not that good, I think they're a regional host. I don't think they're a national seed, though. I think they're number 12 to 14. Um, you know, you, you talk about Florida, right? It's a team that lost their opening series to Miami, and they play they're, – they're what? One and two, four and two. They're four and five against power five schools. No, four and six because they lost Florida State. Um, it's possible that Florida's just not as good as we think they were. Um, Tommy Mace is really good um, on Friday nights, but Ole Miss lit him up two years ago in Oxford. Now, I don't think he's going to get lit up like he did in Oxford on Thursday, 
but I don't think Ole Miss is going to be scared of him either. Um, Jack Leftwich on on Saturdays, he'll be on Friday this week, is really good. And then I was not impressed at all by Barco today. I watched most of that game. I was not impressed at all. Uh, he's a left-handed kid. I, look, Florida's got enough talent to, to be extremely good, but for whatever reason, it's not put well together right now. Um, and, and, look, I, I could be dead wrong on this. If I pick today, I think Ole Miss wins that series this weekend. Um, I think they're just a little bit better than Florida right now. Would agree with that. And I would say Tommy Mace's problem in 2019 was is he pitched the same day that Matt Luke's last spring game. So he was just doomed from the start. Um, no, no, that was the that was the night before. Thank you very much. You got you got to remember. <laughs> Sorry, he got to go to Ole Miss's spring game. They may have been the night before. As someone who attended the spring game, it was all the same. Uh, here's a good question from longtime listener buddy of mine, Brent Ferguson. Are Arkansas and Vandy on a whole different tier than the rest of us? I'm you better put Ole Miss on that tier. Yeah, that's what I would actually – that you're answering it before. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I, I, so, he said, I'm basing this on Vanderbilt's pitching staff, and Arkansas just swept State and Starkville, and State is really good. I would agree with everything you just said there in that, uh, in that whole statement. So, one, well, I'll say everything. The question, obviously, no. I would actually put Ole Miss on the same tier as Arkansas and Vanderbilt. The thing that pisses me – that pisses me off. The thing that's bothersome – um, even from just kind of an objective perspective of covering this stuff, it's like the frontline pitching that Vanderbilt rolls out every year is just kind of dumb. And, like, yes, it's annoying. I know this is a hot-button issue. I know it gets you all hot and bothered, as it does everyone else. But uh, I, I would not put – like, I, I was trying to think of – when he texted me this earlier, I was trying to think of the best way to articulate this question. You remember 2019, and we always go back to this, Ole Miss, like you thought they needed to win that game against Vanderbilt on Sunday to be a host. You remember that? It turned right. out not yeah. Well, yeah. Like, it was one of those deals where, like, Ole Miss got up like seven to two or seven to yeah. one early in that game. And I was like, is this enough? Like, Vanderbilt's offense was just so explosive and their lineup was so insane. And they brought their fifth kid in in six days or some bullshit. And he threw 98. And it was like, are you, are you kidding me right now? Where I would say this Ole Miss team is as deep and as talented where I would not put them in a separate tier uh, from Vanderbilt. And I sure as hell would not put them in a tier below Arkansas. I would almost argue Ole Miss is better than Arkansas. Um, so, so Vanderbilt 2019 was a different deal because, right, you have Kumar Rocker still there. Um, I, I will tell you, uh, Vanderbilt is very good and they can win the College World Series. Vanderbilt is not – as good as they were two years ago. Look, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker are insane. Uh, Jack Leiter goes seven no-hit innings. I don't know if you know this. Jack Leiter has not given up a hit in two SEC starts. That's They're insane. pulling dudes from no-nos just because they can. Yeah, well, he was at 100 pitches on a day short of rest, so they just – they had to get him out. But well, – yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I don't think this Vanderbilt team is as good as they were two years ago, and they don't hit. Like, they hit enough, but – they're not that great at the plate. And two years ago, they were not. I mean, yeah, what, what's J.J. Bladé? I mean, you had Austin Martin. They literally they – that, that Bladé kid never got out. If you thought <laughs> his average was 900, cool. No, <laughs> I'm saying yeah, they literally I mean, never got out. That was absurd. But even, dude, their, uh, their eight-hole hitter that you're the Infante kid. Yeah. Like, he was kid, supposed like, to be a first-rounder. Against Ole Miss for the year. Yeah, yeah. I, I – but so, you're, no, right. This, you're right. Sorry, I derailed you, but you're right. They don't hit the same. No, and and look, 
Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker are very good, but you were there that night in 2018 when Casey Myers got assaulted in Oxford. Yep. Kumar Rocker can be beat in Oxford. Jack Leiter, I don't think, can be beat. But Kumar <laughs> Rocker can be, get beat in Oxford on Friday night. Agree. And, like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Jack Leiter's been a lot more dominant. I mean, hell, you go the wrong way. I mean, you, Doug pitches the way he can, even if Jack Leiter can't be beat if the kid doesn't go nine. Like, you know, yeah, if he doesn't give up a run at eight, Doug doesn't give up a run at eight. Somebody else got a pitch. Right. And so, so no, I would not put – I would not put Vanderbilt nor Arkansas on a separate two that Ole Miss. I would put Ole Miss on even footing with both of them. I agree with what he's saying, too. I actually think State's still pretty good. I understand what happened to them this weekend. I understand their pitching. I just have a problem with State because I don't think elite teams get swept at home. Maybe I'm wrong, but that seems like a bad idea. They also had a pitching weekend from hell, and I'd like to see it for two two more weekends be that crappy. Sure. sure. That fair? I would like to see it for a yeah. couple of weeks be that crappy before it becomes a problem. Because I would say, at this point, given the sample size, they had two uncharacteristically bad pitching performances. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I mean, McLeod doesn't usually do that. and then Bernard's only in his second start. We'll have to see what he has. But, yeah, I mean, that's fair. But you look up and – I mean, the thing is, right, like you're two and four right now and you win the series but don't sweep Kentucky. You're still four and five. Like there's they're, they're going to have to make up some ground in, in this pretty quickly. No, they are. That's costly. I mean, you talk about – we talk about the value of sweeps. Arkansas going to state and winning oh. all three games is huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so before, before again, before we go two and a half hours on this podcast, uh, here's a good one for you. Uh, this is actually a question I'll just leave completely to you. Where's Greer Holston, Tyler Hayes, who's longtime listener of the show? Do you remember the guy who uh, – you remember when we first started doing this podcast, asked if him going to the basketball game was a bad move because his wedding wasn't until nighttime? You I don't, this? but I, I don't. This is – I'm pretty sure – maybe Tyler's not married. Maybe I just screwed that up. I, I swear he asked that question. He could probably follow up. He's listened to us since day one is my point. Love that. Where's Greer's Holston, Greer Holston? Uh, I just – I don't think – so here's the thing. If they thought Greer Holston was good enough to get outs um, at a consistent level, they would have him in. So the problem with Greer Holston, right, is he's not a freshman. He's not a sophomore. So – those, you know, mop-up situations or non-high leverage situations aren't going to go to him. They're not going to let him be able to work through situations. So, Greer Holston has to be good enough to just be able to go get out. Otherwise, they're going to give the younger guys those opportunities. Um, so, they just don't feel right now that, he, that he's good enough to get out. I will say he has looked good in the, I think, two appearances that he had. Um, but obviously, right now, uh, they just don't trust him to get out at an SEC level. I think you nailed that. Uh, I would. I, I. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to add other than it's not a Greer Holston thing as much as is where is he needed right now? Yeah, I mean, look, one arm in terms of stuff and talent perspective, he's been okay. Like, I yes, think you have to aside, but where do you need Greer Holston to where? Sure. What What hole is he filling? Sure, and and I think people when they talk about Greer Holston, and I understand this, they think oh, if we put Greer Holston on the mound, it's 2018 Greer Holston, and he's, you know, throwing 92 to 94 with a breaking ball that's really good. No, that, that's that's not what he is anymore. Like, the man's you know, been he, doing a lot since, I would say. And yeah. I don't think he's, like, like, callous about that, but, yeah. 
Yeah, like, I mean, you think about a guy like Will Stokes. He was really good his sophomore and junior year. Sometimes you just lose some velo and your breaking ball doesn't move as, as much. And you're not the same guy and you're extremely hittable. Um, so I think, you know, you have to understand that the Greer Holston, when he takes the mound, is not the same guy that uh, they gave the ball to in tennis, against Tennessee Tech in a winner's bracket game or that closed out the SEC championship in 2018. It's a completely different guy. And uh, right now that's just – that guy's not, you know, in their opinion, good enough to get outs at an SEC level. Yeah, I think you 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 nailed that. It's, it, I don't even. It's not a like you said. It's not even really a Greer Holston problem. No, they just don't need him. So yeah. Um. All right. Here we go. Uh, these are the non old Miss questions now. Actually, I got two more old Miss questions because I got okay. one from the guy that's listening just raw too. Um. Actually, I I right, so here we go. Sports related. Would you rather play a round at Augusta National by yourself or around with Tiger Woods at your local muni? Uh, I'll Tiger let you have this one. I would, never I would find my way to cheat on to Augusta National by some point. You're like Tiger Woods. Like, I think he's going to die eventually, not to be morbid. I don't think he's going to live to be like five, 600. So I, I'd probably go Tiger. It's going to have more options to go to Augusta National. Not sports related at all, but for the people's holiday, how many toddlers do you think you could take at once before you're overwhelmed? Uh, how about one? What? None. Uh, Are we seven. talking about a battle royale or a fight or having to take care of this kid? Oh, that's a good question. So I, I answered that from a per, uh, taking care of it perspective. I'm not ruling out the possibility that a four-year-old could just beat the shit out of me if he wanted to. I'm not ruling out that completely, but I was looking at it from a caretaking perspective. From I'm a caretaking one. perspective, I mean, I deal with 12-year-olds all day because uh, I teach seventh grade. I'll go um, five in terms of battle royale. Five. Yeah, well, well five. Um, yeah, I think seven. All, 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 each one of them has a limb. So all one of the toddlers, four, has a limb, like each one. <laughs> and then the fifth one can just start doing dive punches. And then as far as taking care of them, do you think it's less or more? I already answered this. Taking care of them, one? Can I answer <laughs> half? I couldn't do one. You couldn't take care of one four-year-old right now? No. I'd probably try to feed it in a dog bowl or something. Like, I don't know shit about kids. Are you kidding me? One. <laughs> what? One from a caretaker. What's your answer? Two? Uh, I, think I, I think I could do – I mean, yeah, remember, I, I deal with 12- and 13-year-olds, and, well, yeah, some of them are self-sufficient enough. Um, that's fair. You you teach but, kids and you enrich minds on a daily basis. Yeah, that's a word I don't part. ever have to deal with kids. Like I think I could do three or four. I do. I think I could do three or four. The problem that you would have is like you have to constantly be entertaining these kids. They can't just like sit there and do nothing. Like you know, like I'm a big believer or not believer. I'm a big fan of like do nothing, sit on the couch and watch TV, and I don't have to be entertained. I think you're a little bit more outgoing than me, but like I could sit on my couch pretty much all day and I'd be fine. No, with like kids, you you have to. They have to be entertained. I uh, I would okay. I don't even know if I agree or disagree. I would just say don't underestimate my ability to do nothing. I am not good at much, but I am good at doing some nothing. I enjoy doing nothing. <laughs> I'm a big fan of nothing. Yeah, I don't know. I would pet the kid. Does that count? Um. Anyway, so <laughs> God. We're two hours in this, dear God. All right, here we go. Would you rather not be over? Here's Randy Morgan's weekly mind now. Uh, can you start sponsoring this? Does Randy have a business to sponsor us? Uh, Randy, Randy does a lot of graphic design stuff. Maybe, maybe we could work something out here. 
Okay, well, this is the Randy Morgan Weekly Mind F. So would you rather never be able to wear clothing or always have itchy allergy eyes? Um, I'm gonna it's go always, it's always have itchy I'm allergy eyes. Dude, I don't need itchy eyes. You're a contact guy, aren't you? Yeah. It's yeah, I'll take itchy your... allergy eyes. I'd just be naked if I had to. <laughs> like you couldn't go out because you'd be arrested. Fair enough. It's better than that feeling where you're just no, eyes are you're going to spend the rest of life, your life in prison. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. You, but you're telling me I'd be, I'd rather be naked and happy than have that feeling where you. You're not a- going to be happy in prison. Yeah, well, if I never left my house, I could be naked whenever I wanted. Well, that's true, but you can never leave. It's house arrest for life. Well, you could do drive-throughs. There's no law against going through a drive-through naked. I guess you could cover up, like you know, with some napkins, maybe in your car. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but you're telling me you would rather have. Never, you'd rather be able to just wear clothing and have that terrible feeling from contacts all the yeah. time. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big prison guy, and, and I like to be able to leave my house. I'm not a big prison guy either. Um, I actually thought <laughs> of a nice tweet for Mac Brown the next time he punts something in the fall. I'm gonna say the only shank he knows is the one that he stabbed his cellmate with. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Last one we have is just Matt Barnhouse. Why do we always get the deep one too? So we always have very good, insightful questions from the listeners, and then we have Randy's weekly whatever he wants to send us, and then we have one that I just don't know what to do with, and it's come from Matt Barnhouse, friend of the program this week. Does the pain of existence ever go away? <laughs> Ask me after Old Mess is super regional. Oh man, I see that in a couple of months. We're coming out of COVID, Matt. It's 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 a great time to be a human. So. <laughs> Maybe after a while. All right, so we've gone for two hours. I told you this would be an hour tops. Of course, I logged my 60 minutes. This keeps getting longer and longer. To hell with it. Any other just reactions from the weekend? I was – um, I will say I was pretty shocked by Florida State's result against uh, Michigan. I thought that was going to be – potentially to be college basketball game of the year. I was very high on Florida State. They didn't even shoot a terrible percentage from the field. They're 40% from the field, not great. 14 turnovers. Okay, fine. Where did I was on the golf course? Uh, so uh, again, I didn't watch. Where did that? I didn't watch. Home? You watch? No, I did not. Um, I was watching. That was that was. I watched pretty much all the state Arkansas game, um, and that was on during the. And it was never really like close enough to care about. So I just I I never really flipped it over. Fair enough. I I just maybe I'll have to go back and watch. I, I found that result shocking. I didn't understand that. The rest the rest of it not a shock. Um, holy cow, Gonzaga's good. They're, they're winning the title, right? Right. Like they're, they're just a lot better than everybody else. I mean, I know you don't have dynasties these days in college hoops. I get that because of the one and done and all that. But the whole Gonzaga thing is pretty much approaching the whole, like, five slam a jamma type deal. Excuse me, I have the hiccups. Can everyone – can anyone beat them, right? Like, yeah. that's what this is turning into. into. Yeah, I, I – look, Baylor's the only team I think they can do it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe – uh. Uh, no, you, they're going to play USC. USC is not beating them. Um, so they're going to the final four where I think they probably just play Michigan. Uh, they're just better than Michigan. It is what it is. If they make shots like they normally do, they'll beat Michigan. Baylor's the only team that I think has the athleticism to give them a problem. It's okay, so a Doug Gottlieb pointed this out earlier. I'm pretty sure that Houston has an opportunity because they're playing Oregon state in the elite eight, correct? Yes. They're playing all double digit seeds to get to the final four. 
Yeah, you just uh, you took the words out of my mouth there. They will not play a single-digit seed to get to the bottom four. I don't think that's any indictment on Houston. Obviously, they can't help that. Right. What a path. Holy cow. Yeah, oh, and they beat the crap out of everybody except Rutgers. So, yeah, good on them. Anything else stood out from – I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought Oral Roberts gave a hell of an effort. You could make an argument they maybe oh, should have. I wish that time. shot would have gone down. Yeah, I know. That that kind of sucks. That would have been a cool story. Good for Must in Arkansas, man. Like, that, he's a good coach. They have great talent. Like breaking news, that league is yeah, – Who do they play next? Arkansas. Baylor. Baylor. They play Baylor. They'll go home, thank God. Yeah, they they will. Um, Baylor's going to the final four. You know, you were, you were talking about how Baylor could get beat early on. And yeah, not anymore. No, no, no. I think that exactly. Like, I, I, I don't even know if I necessarily agreed or disagreed with that thought. But once you could tell from about halfway through the first half of that round of 32 game that Baylor was kind of back to being what they were. And that whole COVID thing kind of screwed them up. But they're back to kind of the full strength Baylor. But you were not wrong for saying that at the time, right? They, they were very vulnerable coming into the tournament. But, you know, 60 minutes of basketball later, you're like, okay, they figured this out good for them. Yeah, they, they were down nine against Villanova and Jay Wright with 10 minutes left. And at no point did I think they were going to lose that basketball game. And they didn't. They covered. And, they man, covered you, like you talk about the whole Villanova-Jay Wright thing, but they were without Cullen Gillespie. They were without sure. the other kid. And they were up 10 in a sweet 16 game against Baylor. Like, there's no reason that guy's the best in the sport right now. Probably yeah. no questions asked. Yeah. Yeah, Who's a I mean, better coach? Who gets more out of their players and their talent every year than Jay Wright? It's not. Like, I could argue. I could argue few, but that's about it. Oh, I like that one. That that that's fair. But you know, I, I would say the trump card in that argument is that you know Jay Wright has two titles in what, six years, whatever it is, five. Yeah. No, that's yeah. It's 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 right. I'm just saying I could argue few. What do you think? No, I don't disagree. I think, and if I hope few and uh, Gonzaga finally get the job done. Uh, Shaka takes the Marquette job. Okay, yeah, that was smart. I texted you about this, just pretty much just being an angry rational fan. My man at Porter Moser can't get a look at, at Marquette, even though he has more Sweet Sixteens than Shaka. I get like I, I don't necessarily hate the hire for Marquette, but why can't I not? My, why can't my guy Porter Moser at Loyola Chicago not get that look, but Shaka can? I don't understand that. All right, well, well, well hold on here. How do we know that he did? And, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm Porter Moser and I'm making $1.5 million to coach at Loyola Chicago, like, I don't have the worst life in the world. Maybe I just don't want to leave there. Fair enough. But if he goes somewhere else, he doesn't have Sister Jean still in his spotlight. Stay woke. That's a good point. It, it, smart move by Shaka, though, right? Because now you got three more years guaranteed of coaching, bud. That was the greatest move Shaka could ever make. And it's I like I'm out. This, and an old Miss assistant one time told me on the Hoops team, and I, honestly, this was so long ago, I don't even actually remember who it was, so apologies to uh, whatever old Miss assistant basketball coach that told me this one time, is you're either fired, you're either about to be fired or just hired as a coach in this industry. And anytime you can get a reset, you better take it. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's what Buzz Williams does. Right? Do what? I mean, that's exactly what Shaka did, yeah. right? Shaka looked at the writing on the wall and said, boy, I want three more years guaranteed. No, that's why, like, when people made fun of um, – when, when Ole Miss and AK split and people made fun of Mike White, the, the Mike White thing. No, no, Mike White was going to consider that because it would have restarted his clock and gotten him four more years. Now, look, he eventually, I, I don't think, would have gotten it done and, and, and or not waited long enough to, to be able to be the Ole Miss coach. But – 
that wasn't as insane as people thought. Like Mike White was going to consider Ole Miss if they would have waited until after the tournament just because at that time at Florida, he needed a clock reset because Florida fans were not very happy with him. No, they weren't. And if you can get a reset, you're the bad, you're the happiest man in the biz. Um, yes. Anyway, all right, we got to get out of here. I've kept you way, way too long. This has been turned into a baseball extravaganza, but great <laughs> show. I remind you to check out one more time. Check out Rippy Writes at Substack.com. We got a great newsletter coming out in the morning. I'll link this podcast. Um, we'll be back, I think. No, Ole Miss is another Thursday, Saturday, don't they? Yes, we'll probably need to go Wednesday night. Yeah, so Colin and I will have another Thursday podcast out, obviously. Uh, Maybe I'll just try to guess the weather better. I don't know. We'll go with the back end of this podcast schedule. We'll figure out how that's going to go. I'll keep you all updated that on the newsletter. But check them out. We got new LB specials. I hope someone took advantage of it this weekend. Our guy Greg, on top of the spicy ribeye, uh, had a $10 um, steak deal. So for $10, you could go get a pound of ribeye sausage and a steak. I don't really know how you beat that. I mean, no. when did Greg become a horse guy? Greg has become a horse guy, I would say, over the last, like, nine months. So, you introduced me to Greg. Uh, this was the first sponsor we ever had on the show that was attained because of you. Greg, I would say about three months into – I would say me and Greg knowing each other, <laughs> that Greg started mentioning that he was dabbling into horses and has just really kind of gone head over heels in the horse racing game. Big horse guy now. Big horse guy. I, I like Greg. That, that, that suits Greg. He's a big soccer guy, too. So, soccer and horses for Greg. Greg likes soccer? Yeah. Yeah, he's a big soccer guy. Greg would strike me as the guy to call that communist kickball, but I'm going to have to talk soccer with Greg next time. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> great show. I appreciate it as always, dude. We'll be back out on Thursday. We hit all things Ole Miss baseball. If you like what you heard today, uh, the five-star review on the podcast. We've got a couple of nice ratings. People uh, were very nice to us, which was nice on that. So if you want to hit five stars, say whatever you want in the comment section. Colin and I will be back out on Thursday. Subscribe to Rippy Writes at substat.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, go check out my guys at skyboxsportspicks.com. They'll guide you through the Final Four. I'm sure they tore it up this weekend. I'll be calibrating the stats after the Elite Eight, and I'm sure they'll have some kind of awesome thing to plug. Go check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger as well. I think that's every plug I had, dude. Uh, Two-hour extravaganza. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, man. Sounds good. Take it easy. I'll see you on Wednesday night for Thursday's podcast. I hope everyone had a safe and happy week. We will catch you later on in the week.